OTB AM, setting you up for the day ahead. Luton is an easy is an easy name to say. This is what was just happening in the studio here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I know people who have flown into Luton. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Well, sometimes form is function and we're straight into the Gillette Labs performance <laughs> rankings this morning. A very good morning to you. Hello. Happy Monday. Colin is here. Hi, uh, Dur- Shane is here. Morning, how are things? Well, I guess we're getting straight into it. No, <laughs> no time for shilly shallying. No choice. No choice. Shilly dallying. That's what they're doing. They're like these lads. Just they, they talk too much crap. Just get into it. Just that's that's how they solve it. Just play the sting. We have to talk about it. Seriously, ruthless editorial decision there in the sound box this yeah. morning. Enjoyed that. Do it. Uh, straight into the red with um, Arsenal. <laughs> We've no choice this morning. <laughs> how was your weekend? How was your weekend? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we got. How, how was your weekend, lads? Well, Kildare All Ireland champions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Congratulations to everyone in Kildare, by the Something way. Something is stirring. Mm. Huge achievement. Yeah, I feel very bad for the Sligo goalkeeper just as they were getting back into it. Um, ends up making a good save, tipping a ball over a crossbar with a, uh, with a shot that was dipping that could have embarrassed him. Mm. And then Kildare win the next two kickouts and, and score 1-1 off it. And um, I, it's the turning of the game. I think I think Kildare were going to touch them off anyway. And then obviously the game is gone and they win well in the end. But it was in the melting pot and certainly... There were some concerns at that stage from Kildare. I was like, uh-oh, are we going to blow a big lead in this? We might. I don't know. But uh, obviously, massive stuff happening in Sligo football at underage level. And uh, at senior level, and hopefully there's no revenge for Sligo at senior level in a couple of weeks. Uh, one other point as well, that uh, another team that don't make the Gillette Labs performance rankings this morning is Manchester United. But Shane, you were at Old Trafford on Saturday. I was. To watch their 2-0 victory against Wolves. Yeah, good Synopsis. atmosphere. Good atmosphere at Old Trafford. Um Alejandro Garnacho good to see him back on the pitch for United fans um, the before, look, it wasn't a great game classic 2-0 Saturday yeah, game. it was just fairly Wolves are done Wolves didn't threaten you know anytime Wolves were getting corners it was because United were making defensive mistakes Varane looked a little bit uh, leaky yeah, it's going to take him a little bit of time to get back in uh, funny enough Harry Maguire came on and looked a little bit more solid did Collins get off the bench? Uh, Collins did not get off the bench right no. the problem with centre-halves isn't it so rarely they come on on this yeah Tactically, they won't come on. I had a dream. I had a dream the night before the match that Alejandro Garnacho was going to score, and then before the game, I was like, maybe stick a little tenor on Garnacho to score. The teams came out and it was like Garnacho's not starting. I was like, okay, I'll leave it. Eighty-four minutes on the clock. Garnacho's coming off the bench, and I said to my brother, "Do it. Stick a tenor on." He was sixteen to one at that point, and um, sure enough. The, the, the dream became true. All right. So it was a nice little moment. I so never knew you. I really celebrated that goal. Andre Konchelskis so much. I loved Konchelskis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow, mid nineties. That was the retro. Had a vintage Conchesca's uh, jersey on. Have you ever had a? I, I saw on his Instagram. Have you ever had a, like a, you know, other other prognostication dreams? Are you Mystic Meg here? Is that what you're telling us? Well, like I, the last two times I was, I was over for matches, I called Casemiro to be man of the match in the Carabao final, watching in the, in the in the pub in Manchester, and then I called Fred to score against Barcelona, which is fairly random. So um, these these dreams just come to me sometimes. You know? It was only the second biggest thing you did this weekend in the sporting landscape. We'll get to that. We Amber. We will get to that. Yeah, it was it was pretty important. Um will we get into Arsenal? We'll get into Arsenal. Uh Bottlers? Are we going that far? No, we're not going that far. Yeah, well John Hartson did yesterday on Twitter. He's making the point that this is now becoming a bit of a habit. 
I feel like that's a bit harsh, isn't it? The game was a 36-game, 38-game season. Have to be realistic. Arsenal have, for three quarters of the season, been outstanding. Final part, they've completely choked under the pressure. Same last two seasons when chasing Champions League place. 38 games, not 30. Uh, I think he's right. You think so? Well, I don't know. I mean, yesterday was one of those games where it wasn't entirely smash and grab. I didn't get to see the whole game, so I didn't see the ebb and flow of it. I was watching highlights of it, and it was like... Chance, 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 chance. Oh, goal down the other end. Mm. Chance, chance, chance. Goal down the other end. Goal down the other end. Like, I mean, come on, Arsenal. I saw the ebb and flow of it because hey. Ferguson was oh, very, very good. good. I mean, top notch. I was into the WhatsApp group last night saying, like, I'm really excited because I think that was, and this is hopefully not too much hyperbole, I think it was the biggest game an Irish players played at club level since Cuevin Kelleher in the League Cup final last season when he scored the winning penalty against Chelsea to win the Cup for Liverpool. In terms of exposure, Super Sunday, mass audience, last chance for Arsenal to keep the title race going and the number nine for Brighton on the day mm. was their own Evan Ferguson and Brighton were outstanding. It's a pity he got taken off with about 20 minutes left but he played a huge part in Brighton's very comfortable victory in the end. Standing on ankles and the whole lot as well. Hmm? He was standing on Arsenal ankles the whole lot. Kenny Cunningham gave him a six and a half out of ten. I thought he was. But he, very but he said he thoroughly good. enjoyed his performance. I thought, I thought he was very physical. You know, he didn't do anything uh, spectacular or anything like that, but he was a handful for them, as was the general Brighton front line, to be yeah. honest, that Arsenal couldn't deal with. I found it interesting that Mikel Arteta took to apologising afterwards for the second half performance, which I didn't think was too necessary. I mean, these happened in the games. But what he could apologise for is on New Year's Day, Arsenal had 43 points, and no team has ever not won the league from that position. Mm. So he could apologise for the second half of the campaign. But I don't how, think the second half performance yesterday. How concerned are we about the signing of Jair Pedro from Watford for thirty million to Brighton, a twenty-one-year-old striker? Um, not too much. I think it just adds more competition. I think he'll play more than enough games next season. Ferguson, they put their faith in him. New contract. I think it's all part of the project, as they would say nowadays. Yeah. And thirty million. Okay, it's a bit of money, but these days, not huge. Not so much that you'd absolutely have to play him. So I think Ferguson will be fine. Grant, yeah, they've, they've shown faith in him. Deserby clearly likes him as much as Potter did. Um, from from an Arsenal perspective, the, the the first half was just flat. Um, and when you look at the the nature of the Newcastle game last week, which was the total opposite, it's like this is surprising. And bright because Brighton weren't great. I thought the first half they were all right. I thought it was a very even game. It was the quite that. Yeah, but it was it was it wasn't exciting. It wasn't exciting for the neutral to watch. No, no, but I wouldn't expect it to be exciting at this time of the season unless uh, something defensively is going wrong. Mm. It was their second half display that was very concerning. Like it was nil-nil. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose, I mean? yeah. They, they, they came close twice, Arsenal. Bukaya Saka had a shot in the first half, whipped it with his left foot near post, just went wide. And Reese Nelson came on as a sub, and shortly afterwards, he had a shot far post that just went wide, and that was at 1-0 down. But other than that, Brighton created all the chances. So I see it about right back worked, and I, I was concerned looking at the team before the game. I was like, oh, he's got to be missing the midfield. But the, obviously, he marshaled Martinelli for the time that Martinelli was on the pitch. Um like Saliba's injury is the big thing here for Arsenal isn't it that, 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 like, there's no coincidence that Arsenal's complete uh, not bottle job but uh, absence now from the title race really is um, is down to Saliba's absence like um, Kivio, Kivio yesterday just purr well, yeah well he went down for the first goal seemed to get uh, possibly fouled or something happened to him anyway that he went down injured that's why Nciso had an easy header mm. Look, it's part of the reason Arsenal is struggling without Saliba, but Odegaard, his form isn't as strong as it was. I think Jesus getting injured when he did and the length of time that he was out. I know uh, Eddie Nketiah did very well in his absence, but you're missing Jesus and he hasn't been the same since he came back. So it's key players 
probably in the decisive part of the pitch they just haven't been as strong as they were yeah and look there will be Champions League football next season and so there will be money to spend extra money even on top of the money that they spent last year you, look I, I think <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know with the Manchester City and all of the charges they're facing is another storyline that is going to bubble back up very soon I think because there'll be a trophy lift there'll be an open top bus parade and everybody will be talking about uh, will they actually get to keep this trophy is this going to be Manchester City's trophy so I don't know Arsenal want to just make sure they finish second in case uh, Man City do get stripped of the title or get uh, points deduction later on. But um, just to go back to Evan Ferguson, he was interviewed yesterday. There was a piece, I don't know, was it a, a, an interview? Certainly there was a piece with him yesterday in the Sunday Times and there's a quote <clears throat> about his age and he's like, ah, look, age doesn't really matter anymore. Um, everyone says, oh, he's young, he's 18, this and that, but if he trusts you and you can play, there's no reason not to do well. This is uh, about his relationship with Zerbi and also how it was actually really good for him that Potter got the Chelsea gig, which it has been. And then this is a quote. I look at what Rooney did when he was my age, Benzema, Ibrahimovic, Giroud, and I bring different bits of their game into mine. Make your strengths even stronger and improve on your weaknesses. If he was as good as any of those and had any of their careers, we'd be be pretty happy. You'd take it, wouldn't you? Even Olivier Giroud at this stage. <laughs> even even Olivier Giroud, oh. France's all-time leading goal scorer. <coughs> yeah, you take him alone. Men's leading goal scorer, of course. Fifty-three goals in one hundred and twenty-two international appearances. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're asking Keith Tracy on Friday in the kickoff uh, as an Arsenal supporter. Where would he strengthen in the summer? Robbie Keane had sixty-eight goals, so you know he wouldn't quite fulfil John O'Shea's prognostications. Oh, yeah. um, anyway, sorry. Yeah. So Tracy, uh, Tracy was mentioning right back. He is an Arsenal fan. Yeah, big one. And uh, I think that's kind of been vindicated from yesterday when Karim Motoma absolutely destroyed Ben White all game, yeah. all game long. Brighton were attacking the left flank. And um, it's one of those old things like if you know, you're know you watching this match, didn't know anything about either team, you would say Brighton are by far the superior side. And they showed in the second half. But Motoma, oh my God, he rinsed them. Rinse and repeat. Like, He's ridiculous. Over I, and over again. I wouldn't have even. I, w- I wouldn't call it bottling. I'd, al- I'd almost call it lack of belief from the Arsenal players. You felt like the last number of games, they never really felt like... Like even Thomas Partey, a big game player... Mayorsi's a big game player. The second half of the season, he's. I don't crap. know. I don't know why you're doing the mental gymnastics, not to call it bottling. Like it's I, I, it, I, they bottled it. They like they had a winning position and they didn't win because psychologically they weren't strong enough. City to get won through. eleven games. City just stood on their necks. Yeah, like but, if but any they, lesser team in a title race than they, City, they would have won the league even if City had won all their games. They would have won the league if they just could have taken care of business and they couldn't uh, take care of business. I think it's an easy cliche to just call Arsenal bottlers, isn't it? Like on this occasion, Arsenal have had a brilliant season. They're going to recruit in the summer and pro- probably push on next season again. An easy truth bomb, Shane. That's what it is. <laughs> I don't know. Let's be honest. They've overachieved. If you Arsenal. ask them second at the start of the season, it's just the way it's, they've gone about it. That's all. Like if they had say they started the season like the way they're finishing it, mm. and then for the second three quarters of the season, if you like, for that part, portion of it, they were excellent, and they ended up finishing second, you would say, "Oh my god, what a job Mikel Arteta has done!" A backdoor second. He's done it the opposite way. A backdoor second when Man United are obviously not all that. When Spurs have collapsed. When Chelsea have are barely going to finish in the top ten, even if they, maybe they won't. Like, is it is it all that impressive to be better? Are Liverpool in crisis? Is it really that impressive to be best of the rest? Yeah. Well, not only best of the rest, if there were were 20 points off Man City in second, they'd be best of the rest. But they they are literally involved in a title battle all season. Maybe you get a special prize for for being... You get a... Add a boy. Well done, you. A little bronze. It's not a patronising second. I'm not saying that. I would never say that. 
That's not a patronising second. No, no. If you're involved in a title race, it's hardly a patronising second. But when they were, what are they, eight points clear at one stage was the, the, the highest lead they had. And I just never believed that they believed they were going to win yeah, the league. Exactly. Because they're ahead of schedule. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, like, if they get better this summer, do you know who they can get? There is no schedule. Do you know who they can get? There's no schedule. Do you know who they can get? A-listers who are, who've fallen out with a club, right, are B-listers who were kind of not quite the absolute top B rung because those players are going to go to like Real Madrid, Man City. They need A-listers that have fallen out with clubs are middle of the road kind of B-listers. That's how they're going to improve their team because I don't think they're absolutely the pinnacle of where you want did, to go. Did Zinchenko and Jesus really improve the team to the point where they're now title contenders or did we overrate that narrative a little bit? Who gave the ball away? Was it Zinchenko? Yeah, he tried to flick it around the corner. <coughs> he well, just he, he hit the crossbar Trasser when he came on. That was the other chance they had. Yeah. Uh, no, like I don't think I um, think you're all being seduced by Arsenal because they've had a good season no. and it's recently biased. You were seduced over, by them. I, I wasn't. You were um, you were definitely saying at the time. I think they I made a mistake, but at the start uh, of the yeah. season, Nathan was like, Oh, they are the real deal. I was like, Okay, well I think they're still gonna be Arsenal at the end of the season and they are. Well when they got rid of Zinchenko and Jesus Man City, it was for a reason. They were squad players. Yeah, but the Arsenal wouldn't have been in title race. It's also them. financial fair play. Yeah, for one another reason. There you go. Arsenal would not have been in the title race without Zinchenko or, or Jesus. I know Jesus was injured uh, for a period, but but they wouldn't have been. If you look at Arsenal squad, Manchester United squad, Chelsea's, even Tottenham's, they've done very well this season. Yeah, it's the order of how they've gone about it is why people think they've bottled it. I just think they, they were never. I just don't think they were ever going to win the league, even at eight points there. The only time I thought maybe when they were tuning up at Anfield. Can you show me the schedule where you where they where they arrive at the end? What's the end point of that schedule? What was the schedule between 1986 and 1993 for Alex Ferguson? You know they were like this guy's got to go. I mean, you, you know, know, you can get there. It turns out there wasn't a schedule, and he would have been fired in the modern game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it, what, it, so what's your point? <laughs> My point is that this doesn't necessarily has to be the end. Well, no, but it of could, Arsenal's it, ascendancy. It could well be. What if it, what, it's like, not a one season wonder? <clears throat> I don't think so. The downturn was a month ago tomorrow. It was West Ham away when they went 2 0 up. No, it was 2 0 up at Anfield. Well, that was another one. But like the West Ham game, you're 2 0 up and cruising. And like that Liverpool game was so insane and chaotic that anything could have happened. But like the West Ham game was like, Arsenal need to win this match. And then uh, they let Arsenal were supposed to be closing the goal difference. difference. If you were Evan Ferguson and <clears> Arsenal community <throat> this summer, would you go to Arsenal or would you stay at Brighton? And if, if you're offered equal opportunities of both. Tell me who the manager is. Is Deserby staying? Same manager. And if Deserby's staying, you've got to stay. But Mikel Arteta is one of the most promising managers is around. He? Is he? Oh, is he not? I don't know. I don't know. I, like, <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know. I just I want to wait and see now what, what happens next. Can he manage a club where there's Champions League on a Tuesday or Wednesday and then Premier League games at the weekend? And let's just wait and see. I, look, I think Arteta has a vision, mm-hmm. but like when Kevin De Bruyne pushed him over, that was the end of the season. That was his Billy Big Bollocks moment, and he failed. He's like, ah, 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 leave me alone, Kevin De Bruyne. What are you doing? Screenshot that face. It was good. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. It, I think that was just a moment. This has been a gradual. How have the results that's... been ever since, Colm? Is think that find that, I, I just think that sometimes if you're going to act the big man on the sideline then everything has to go your way but why, do we, why do we have to put this as an intangible thing a bottling why can't we look at the actual physical things they have no strength and depth compared to City they, like, as soon as injuries happen they, they don't have the players to replace them so the current players are tired that's why they're losing matches at the moment like there are actual scientific reasons behind these results did he not pick a good team deep into the competitions that he was involved in like, could he not have rested players and decided, OK, Europa League doesn't really matter for us at all? 
Maybe, but he, got, he did get unlucky with injuries as well. Like, uh, the, you, uh, to, you, need, you need luck to win leagues as well, a little bit. All right, all right, all right. I mean, look, Man City are very good, but, the, like, it was West Ham. It was, all he had to do was try and beat West Ham and keep the form going, and they couldn't do it. Okay, Arsenal in red, what yeah, else? Waterford are also in red, lads, uh, after the, the game against Clare at the weekend, and... Um, I don't know. You'd be worried about Waterford hurling because you, you compare the two teams at underage level, minors and twenties, and and Waterford are really struggling at underage. Clare um, just won a Munster minor championship. I think they're in the under twenties final tomorrow or tonight, maybe. Um, but Waterford had so many wides in the first half. Uh, they had the goal chance from Barron, but it was just um, not good. And, and you'd have to say similar to the to the um, Brighton as well. Clare hadn't didn't play like the best that they can play. So David Fitzgerald was. Um, understandably disappointed afterwards. I think he referenced the referee's performance as well and just wasn't happy with the sending off, the second yellow. Um, the game didn't really flow. James O'Connor made that point on, on uh, punditry, punditry with ourselves as well, that the referee maybe should have let the game flow. So from a neutral perspective, wasn't hectic to watch. Um, but from a Clare perspective, you're backing up the Limerick win. So Waterford, I don't know. You're back to the back to the well to play. Is it Tipperary, I think, next for them? Clare play Cork, so... You'd be worried if you're a Waterford fan. They just can't handle this this round robin um, championship in Munster. They don't know how to deal with it the last couple of years. Or would you be worried? The feeling I get from the Waterford supporters is a bit of apathy. Like they were criticised for their attendance at Parky Cueve against Cork. Yeah, a few scattered white jerseys amidst the red. And uh, the problem as well, like, is, is their fight. Like you were saying, they're saying they weren't too bad in the first half. There was only a goal in it at half time. They had yeah. 15 attempts. To Clare's 23. And uh, once again, Davey has to come out afterwards and defend his side, but very differently in the manner he did it after the Cork game, where he was very forlorn and deflated. Now he's coming out all guns blazing. He was speaking to our own Ashley O'Reilly, uh, among a number of others, Jonathan Higgins as well, mm. over the weekend after the game. And it was uh, the message was, we'll be back. We're going nowhere. We're going to improve. But this, I think, goes behind uh, Fitzgerald, the whole problem. Like you said, Shane, their record recently around Robin, it's, it's awful. Yeah. It's, it's like really horrendous like just one win from 15 attempts going back to 2018 and that's six championship defeats in a row that's shocking I mean, one win in 15 like they've got to two All-Ireland finals very recently they were three points within uh, Galway in 2017 they were a Mara Shanahan uh, puck of the ball away from equalising mm. and look where they are now yeah it was just a squeeze that. I um, mean does, is Davy back next year I think probably, but it's more of a question than you would expect. Mm. Like, the thing about Davy is generally there's an immediate surge in the team, and that hasn't been the case this year. So, a uh, big, big, big challenge for him and the rest of his managerial career to get this back on track. Mm. And also, like, what do, what, what's Waterford's long term plan? What's their medium term plan here? Yeah, as I said, the underage stuff it just isn't happening either. You could say if they were going well at minors or 20s, okay, it's coming, it's coming. But it's not. Like, it's really not in Waterford. There's just no pipeline at the minute. Yeah. That's res- respect to those underage teams, but they're just not pushing on like the likes of Clare at underage level. Um, so that's, a, that's but it's an more, issue. It's also their senior players aren't pushing on, and they, it seems like they need a bit of a refresh, like Tottenham Hotspur style, yeah. that a lot of those well, players, no when they're and they've... There's no Milans or Shanahan's in that, in that squad at the, at the minute that, that are just taking the game by the scruff of the neck and and carrying the young lads with them. They have an odd mixture this year of uh, seemingly like lack of passion on a consistent basis and also a poor defensive record. Like everyone's talking about Limerick and the hurling, but they've had four players sent off in the league. They had Callum Lyon sent off as well the weekend for second yellow on uh, Ryan Taylor and, and Fitzgerald afterwards had no complaints about it. So they, mm. they, that, now that 
says to me that there is something wrong going behind the scenes because you don't have the passion to fight, but you certainly have the passion to fight in the wrong way. We'll do more on Waterford Hurling during the week. We'll come back to that. Yeah. All right. Move on so to what happened in the red. Uh, so that's that's the red done, Arsenal Waterford, and we've got um, was a big snooker match in here at the weekend, lads. Or what says? Sorry, you probably, you probably can't even tee this up yourself. Oh, go on. What was it? Yeah, you, you, you can line up. You were there, I suppose, Colin, for the for the. You had to be there. Yeah. I actually wasn't. I went for Not the for match any. itself. I couldn't hang on. It was too long. We've been rolled actually. It was we too were, long. We were practicing earlier on in the it's in the two afternoon. hours after I was supposed to go home. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? Ronnie not worth it. <laughs> exactly. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I didn't want to get in the way anyway. This is and it was right that I This went. is our practice uh, earlier in the afternoon. Oh, that's you so. hanging around like a bad smell in the background there. Columns like not, during not, my time. Not dressed up. Yeah, Jan Verhas, the referee of, in the background there, he's uh, just missing the white gloves. I faced Adrian in the first game. Yeah, Adrian, of course, sitting down me telling everyone what I'm going to do, and then oh, you were all hanging around Ronnie like a bad smell. Were you? Ronnie's not here. Oh, Ronnie's not in this one. Oh, okay. This is setting up. Yeah, that was earlier in the afternoon. This is during the day. Like we do have a clip of that's coming up here. I just like to say, by the way, you couldn't turn the lights on for anybody watching on their tiny phone screen. Was that it? That was practice. That was putting the faders up was beyond your. You see the results there. O'Sullivan wins just. He like I had only two balls left on the table. Someone commented on the on the the comments, lads. Ronnie cheated. There was one. There was one chance where there was two shots. He took two shots. Apparently shouldn't have taken the two shots. Why not? Um, I, I don't think it was a, a two-shot fight. Like, whatever it was. I know, I'm going to need to watch it back and get the VAR out here. But We, um, we have the full match on social. And yeah. a lot of people have watched it over the weekend. Which social platform? It's on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter. Well, the full match is on TikTok? The full four minutes. Four and a half minutes, four and a half minutes yeah, on yeah. TikTok. Sorry, twice. On TikTok? I, think, I think so. I'm not on TikTok, Jersey. I'm too old. Um, but we do have a nice uh, synopsis right. at the end of the game here. Okay, here we go. Uh, oh, look at that. He's got me. Look at that. Look at the cockiness. Oh, this is fantastic. To the middle bins? Yeah, middle bins, yeah. Oh! He missed it. Oh, missed it's not over one. yet. Oh. Why, so he gets a second shot here, but he's not supposed to. He goes, double it. <laughs> he literally just called what he was about to do. What a ridiculous shot. What a ridiculous shot. Did he tie that? What a moment. The best Did moment of the day is the off the bus studios. <laughs> <laughs> Ronnie, fist bump it out. Oh. What a fantastic. He's what buzzing. a finish. Oh, oh. He, he called it as well. He did. Oh, I got lucky though. Clicked to Arch. You never That's lose the, the winning drive. It's the Gary Neville gasm. Yeah, snooker version of that. Sorry, sorry, twice during that match, I was like, "Is this actually happening?" So at the start, I took the break, potted two balls in the break. He said, "Oh, you've got a nice bridge end," and I was like, "He just complimented my bridge hand." And then later on, he said, "I took a shot and potted it." He goes, "How'd you do that?" And I was like, "Did Ronnie O'Sullivan just ask me on a pool table how did I do that? Because I don't know how I did that. Like, you tell me how I did that." By the way, there's a signed book in the studio. People will see behind column there. Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Unbreakable. So that's why Ronnie was in. Uh, Ronnie kindly signed the book for us. If you want to win that signed copy of the Ronnie O'Sullivan book, go into the Off The Ball YouTube channel, click into the video of the Ronnie O'Sullivan interview, thumbs up, thumbs it up so it gets in the algorithm for all the snooker fans out there, and leave a comment. What's your favourite Ronnie O'Sullivan moment of his career? And I'm going to pick uh, one of the comments today, and then on tomorrow morning show, announce the winner, and I'll get that uh, signed Ronnie O'Sullivan book posted out. You could always run it for like 24 hours if you wanted to. That's what I'm going to do, yeah, 24 hours. So, yeah. Show all the people. One. All the people. Oh, sorry. This is the queue. Yeah, one of the queues that we uh, used in the match. So uh, too far away. That's yeah. one of the little ones. But what, what's the, what's what's <clears throat> what's special about this? About this particular queue. Special yeah. like Arsenal. What's special about this? <laughs> about this put <clears throat> the queue. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ronnie O'Sullivan used this queue, and it's also sorry. Yeah. Signed, yeah, yeah, yeah. signed oh, by Ronnie O'Sullivan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Burying the <laughs> burying the lead there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I actually have a full size Ronnie O'Sullivan sign queue at home that's framed on the wall. So sorry, his signature is insanely clean. 
It is. It's, it's like, like, it's like put his hand right on my body. Was, I was telling you huh? that. that. That came out at the weekend as well. That did come out at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've a tattoo of Ronnie. <laughs> no, it's, it's 147 in Ronnie's handwriting that uh, got, got in Sheffield quite recently. So, All right. It's, it's, so 047 for Monaghan and 147 for Snooker. You know? Right. It's just the way life works out, lads. Were you happy with your performance? But the performance was, was pretty average, but I'll take it. Do you know, I was only two balls away from beating Ronnie O'Sullivan in the match. Um, he allegedly was, he trying? was he in any way focused? Oh, he was t- fully focused because the, in the interview he was yeah. chalking his cue halfway through. He was like, "Where's the choke? Where's the choke?" And I was like, "It's there." He goes, "Got it, got it." He was absolutely buzzing because in the interview you had with him, he was on about his concentration. He never has a problem with it. Yeah, the interview by the way, he was in, he was unbelievable for him. Um, just really, really honest, candid. Forty-one minutes. If you're interested in watching, that's it, available so. everywhere. Is it during the World Cup in 2006? Uh, Garth Crooks. Gave a particularly like uh, interesting interview with um, Sven Goran Eriksson post match, and Eamon Dunphy famously said, "That's the first time I've seen sex between two men on the BBC." <laughs> <laughs> there was definitely a lot of uh, fanboying going on in the middle of the the snooker bit in particular. Oh, the snooker bit there was uh, the, the interview. There was obviously it was full on uh, interview mode. But the you're, if you're playing pool, sorry, I'd like to think if you were playing crazy golf or whatever with with Tiger Woods, you'd, you'd be. He'll be pretty much eyeing up his, his putting technique. I was like, I don't care if there's a tiny little cue. I'm watching everything he's doing so carefully here. Um, <laughs> he just has big hands, not a tiny cue. Do you have a sports person that you'd like to play a sporting event with? That's uh, one of Shane's dreams realised. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, he obviously was very generous with his time. I was brilliant. He was brilliant. Because he, he came in and obviously knew me from before. He was like, oh, we met two weeks ago at the Crucible. Well, I mean, I you, did, you, did, you did point that out. <laughs> yeah. No, but he, he, we were talking about it beforehand. <laughs> Yeah, I met you here, and I met you here, and I met you yeah, here, and yeah. then you, you know, you recognised me there. I yeah, was like, yeah. Uh, just in case, <laughs> I'm just reminding him of all the interviews. Uh, he said it outside. He said, oh, "We spoke with Jimmy before, didn't we?" <clears throat> I was like, "Yeah, we did uh, with Jimmy White." So no, he was he was in great form. I have to say, very kind with his time. His entourage remind me of his keys again. <laughs> yeah, what? what's his guy's name? <clears throat> you want to answer me, will you? Uh, a sports person you want to play with? Yeah, well, Shane, that's one of Shane's dreams. Oh, like you've got to play tennis with McEnroe or Becker. Becker. started watching Boom Boom at the weekend. Oof, uh, know, only the first 20 minutes of it, but... Um, Such a pretty good answer. What's look, yours? Looking forward to that. Tennis with Goran Ivanisevic. Tennis with Goran Ivanisevic. Yeah. Both it's tennis slightly answers. problematic. But anyway, go on. Uh, do you know? I don't think so. No. No. Yeah. Do you know? Maybe. <laughs> do you know? Do you know? Uh, yeah, so that, that was my one realised. But yeah, running in great form. Would you not just play tennis with Jenny Claffey and she could beat the crap out of you? She's actually offered to play me, but... Um, You're too scared. Yeah, like she's going to absolutely hammer me. Yeah, but that's like, at least you played somebody, you played somebody. Then, finally, when you're banging on about it to your mates in the pub, they'll be like, oh, great, another tennis story. <laughs> so you throw, the, throw the ball around with Tom Brady, maybe. Uh, well, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be able to catch it, and he'd you wouldn't be... You would be able to catch it. Oh. Like, you'd be doing rugby underarm, and he'd be like, what, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be kinda, that'd, be, that'd be pretty tough. Do you know? Yeah. Uh, I play with. You can't play That's like the sport that they were good at. Yeah, maybe you play someone that you love in a different sport that you could have a chance of uh, beating. Lee, like Lee Sharp in table tennis. Very yeah, Alan yeah, Partridge, yeah. actually. Yeah. Idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, golf with Roy Keane would be great watching oh, him. He break, play. break the clubs. and He doesn't play golf. Hates it. Well, there you go. Yeah. That, all the more reason to play with them. <laughs> no, um, I, I'd obviously miss the fact that you were trying to get uh, to the signature on the queue. Someone says uh, Shane missed the queue there from Jer. Hey, very good. good. Yeah, it was very good. Right, come on. We, we were like, we started this early. And yeah, we, we did. Haven't even how, got to green. How, how did this happen? Let's move on to green. Shane McGuigan had uh, a stormer for Derry in the Ulster final yesterday in the the lovely sunny confines of Clonus. Um, Thirty thousand odd fans in Clonus. Uh, lovely day. Walking up the hill, everyone seemed to be in in good vibes. From from what I was judging on, on the TV cameras, I was in Monaghan. There was a few Derry and Armagh fans around in Monaghan town. 
Um, they got lost, did they? they? Got lost. Yeah, I suppose the, the people just couldn't get tickets. They were they were flying out the doors. Um, it was a good game. Maybe not not so in the first half, a little bit um, back and forth, but in uh, extra time when you have Shane McGuigan taking the game by the scruff of the neck, and that's probably why we've picked him in the in the green because the, the fifty meter free um, was unbelievable. Like you backed him all day long to to, to put it over, uh, and then Ryan O'Neill was able to match him with a, with an equaliser for themselves. You thought Rory Grugan with that last ditch free was going to possibly send it over there was a little bit of a, a blustery wind I think Conneth Gilligan was, was pointing that out with Ashley O'Reilly after the game um, so maybe not the easiest to freeze for, for Grugan but um, we normally go two ahead in extra time you're thinking they're going to push on here actually and, and mm. probably win this uh, so it showed a little bit of fight um, like, and, and, and McGuigan I know Conor Glass was full of compliments for Shane McGuigan afterwards and he was unbelievable against Monaghan in the semi-finals as well his shooting accuracy he, like he takes on shots from, from angles you're like this is ridiculous but uh, more often than not it goes over he wasn't just very complimentary he put him in the top three forwards in the country yeah. alongside Conor Callaghan and David Clifford yeah which it's is like high end tough to argue with that though isn't it well it's a bit of pressure for him now you know <laughs> a little like, bit maybe um, he's, ahead of, he's ahead of Shane Walsh but you know, Shane Walsh hasn't done it since last year's all in final so mm. how about Conor Glass's penalty oh he was telling uh, our own Ashling afterwards that he was going to go bottom left. He changed his mind. Last split second went top right. Which is always what you shouldn't do and apparently should have. Don't change your mind but clearly it worked on this occasion. Uh, yeah, there's something about it. Paul Gascoigne did the same Euro 96 against Germany semi-final changed his mind last second last second like as he ran up to the ball. Risk. Worked out. Same with Glass. Uh, would you ever think a penalty in a Gaelic football a penalty shootout? No one would ever expect it. I don't think you can because most of the goalkeepers aren't. They do die. I, they uh, a lot, a lot of them don't dive because mm. they're not used to it Rafferty was diving all over the shop uh, just a thought like I did put it to a, um, a big guy friend of mine who said you'll get a 52 week ban if you try to dink it you should and that would be lenient yeah yeah for sure well when you see people doing it in football it, need, yeah. it needs a few mavericks this sport Oren Lynch though his saves was it three saves the, new, the one from Nugent in particular where he's at full stretch like yeah. that is an unbelievable save they're all good saves they're all bad, yeah. they're all bad penalties though yeah well they yeah, are like medium height left oh yeah like well, exactly where it's Tomofte the wind was taken out of the arm sales when you see Ryan O'Neill your, your main shooter by the way when, when you get the first penalty in the shootout you're like this is an advantage definitely an advantage I think statistically statistically yeah, yeah. an advantage and then Ryan O'Neill like to see that the, the leader of the team going up and taking the first penalty yeah. so that kind of t- sucked the wind out of arm sales a little bit in the shootout maybe um, but they probably should have pushed on an extra time when they were two points up they had the momentum uh, in that extra time the energy levels were kind of dropping off in the matches it went on but it was still unbelievably exciting to watch chaotic at times as well it was a terrible game though right first half particularly uh, ultra football it terrible as it went down. it's not all terrible ah what do you and everybody was like afterwards, oh we have to keep this forever this is ours and special have you like, forgotten the throne right, Monaghan match already on. have you forgotten that match uh, high scoring uh, yeah okay that was better that was better Derry kicked 121 against Monaghan I think in the semi-final but it's, it's heresy to say that the game wasn't great like ah, it wasn't great but it was a great spectacle I mean uh, from, a, from, a, from an entertainment perspective maybe not from a quality 29 people inside the half <laughs> It was very possession-based and tough to watch in the first and like half. And no, no risk taken at that stage. Like, uh, I don't know. More risks than the Donegal Derry Ulster final last year. Like, I think that's probably a low, a low bar, to be fair, but I, I certainly I felt like it was a bit more advanced. Um, and, and both teams, you felt, were trying, but it was just the way the game was panning out. Both nervous, both wanted to win, and, and you see the groups that, that the Ulster winner goes into compared to the Ulster runner-up. There was a carrot on the stick there to win yesterday, because Derry now go into a group with... with uh, Monaghan, Derry, and or Monaghan, Donegal, and Clare, which is probably a slightly easier group than. Oh, it's a much easier group. What, sorry, what's the Armagh's group? Is Tyrone, Galway, Westmead? Oh. 
which is a nightmare. Well, you just have to beat Westmead and you're through to the preliminary quarterfinals, and then like but you really want a home quarter. You want, you want a home um, game after that against the. If you finish second or third, that could have serious ramifications. If you, you want to finish second to get the home game, because um, I feel like all the home teams are going to progress, or certainly mo- most of them, more often than not, will progress because of that, that advantage. All right, yeah, that's point from Yeah, on to the other green then. Uh, aside from Shane McGuigan, we have Monster. And the Ireland Sevens. Monster absolutely buzzing this morning, Monster fans. Let us know how you I feel. wanted I wanted the other green to be Ben's Healy, just for the joke. I actually thought Ben Healy was excellent in the first half before he went off injured against Leinster. Like, really, really, really good. And then, obviously, um, Jack Harley moves to 10 and is equally as good. Mm. I mean, Munster cannot be happy about the fact that Ben Healy was allowed to leave. Whatever they're saying about they wish him all the best for, you know. But, like... Uh, Especially if that ten twelve partnership is going to become something. Mm. Well, you, you, you need multiple tens. It turns out if you're like going to compete. Um, so, yeah, fair play to Munster. They they were definitely the better team. Probably should have had the game well out of sight. That photo of Craig Casey, by the way, he absolutely gave it loads uh, at full time celebrating, and understandably so. Jack Crowley, the coolest man in Dublin, one of those drop goals you'd expect him to get ordinarily. Like if he was practicing twenty of them in the warm up, you'd expect him to pop most of them over, but. Still, under that pressure, it was remarkable. The coolness. next time himself is on Ron Nogara, we'll have to put it to him, the wag of the finger afterwards, Crowley, as he put it over. That's really homage. That was trademarked, surely, by Raj. He's allowed. Um, county man. But look, Leinster beat Munster 10 at the last 11 times they'd met, um, falling at the URC semi-final hurdle uh, for the second year running, but it was just brilliant. Tyg Byrne was one of the probably the main men that got Munster over the line in the end that second half performance particularly big win for Stormers obviously against uh, Connacht as well. <laughs> oh, wow. Connacht were uh, really really good like um, didn't roll over and die until like the very last second um, but you know they really took the fight to them but then the celebrations afterwards we'll show you the video a little bit later on yeah. about the celebrations afterwards they've, I obviously feel like they've won the entire thing the, like the the Munster victory down there which uh, kept their season alive Mm. Like bear in mind, a few weeks ago we were talking about Munster not being in the Champions Cup next season, and here they are in the final of the URC. So uh, fair play to them. But um, I wonder what that does now to Munster in terms of the build-up. They've obviously got two weeks more to get all their players Maybe. back, and they'll basically have everybody full. It looks like everybody fit and available for them. So that's going to be interesting. And then the sevens, yeah, you know, women's um, sevens team qualifying for the Olympics, yeah, ten um, five win over Fiji. What's the what's the general public's interest in the sevens? I love watching sevens. Do you? Well, when it's but see the problem is it's never on. Where was this game on at the weekend? What channel was it on? It, like, it needs to this sevens. If sevens was terrestrial consistently, I mean, you're talking everyone loves loves a bit of that. It's so exciting to watch. There's constant scores. It's just a bit more. Well, this game finished ten five. Right? Well, yeah, but like generally speaking, it's open and attacking, um, and seeing players who are so fast. It's just exciting to watch. Look, maybe it's the perfect TikTok sport. Maybe that's what the the point of this is, and, and that's why it's going to be successful. I, I, I just I'm not quite sure how it fits into the hierarchy of Irish sport. And look, fair play, congratulations! They set out to qualify for the Olympics. They've mm. qualified for the Olympics, and um, when the Olympics are on, we might catch some of it in the midst of yeah all of the other sports that we watch that are actually Olympic sports that we really care about. Mm. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it was this is this was David Yusufor's grand plan. That and keeping Johan van Gran, we should say, he wanted to keep Johan van Gran, who clearly was like a just this, you know, terrible era for Munster rugby. There's no way they were beating Leinster at the weekend with van Gran as coach. But that was anyway. Sorry, I, I digress. We will put this to Quinny later on. 
the sevens does feel like a rugby league or something kind of the kind of the kind of cult classic mm. um, but the, these pairs should be available for the inaugural World 15 Tier 3 campaign later this year I, I suppose that's the problem with it isn't it it's clashing with the 15s yeah and, and maybe now we qualify for the, the, whole the Olympics I don't know because there's obviously funding that comes from the Olympics so anyway right that's all it, it was a big moment for them it was brilliant for the team they were completely um, delighted afterwards and as they should be and hopefully it does help to grow the sport and get more people into it but it doesn't mask the fact that the 15s was the, the shambles that it was a couple of weeks back so right that's this week's episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings OTBAS Performance Rankings with Gillette now, a reminder, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off The Ball. Braeburn is coming to an Apple Green store near you. New Braeburn locations are popping up every month. Visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Braeburn to find your nearest Braeburn coffee experience. After the break, we're talking football with Nathan Manua. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball. Right, I'm delighted to say Nathan Manua is with us to talk about basically Man City winning the league at the weekend. Nathan, right, that's it. Stick a fork in it. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it certainly seems that way, yeah. And it, I wasn't really expecting that result from Arsenal, but I think from a Man City perspective, you'll definitely take it, yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll talk about Man City for a few minutes before we get to, to Arsenal, because um, a lot of times they don't actually get the credit for being so brilliant. Like, uh, Ilkay Gundogan's finish yesterday for the first goal is absolutely sensational. Yeah, oh, it's, it's amazing, yeah. And just that sort of the ability to think that quickly and to be able to execute as well. Because once he's taken the, the touch on his thigh, like nobody believes he's going to get a shot off, which is why I think Pickford himself ends up not getting anywhere near it because it's not normal to see somebody in that position that then goes on and sends it into the corner. But he's been such a good player for Man City. I'm personally a bit devastated if he leaves in the summer because he's done so well for them across the last few years. And also, of all the players, you know, at Man City, they pick their captain and Gundogan is their captain. So the fact that he's stepping up at this point in the season says a lot about how good he is and how much the club respects him as well. I didn't realise that the players actually pick the captain, do they? Mm, that's right, yeah. And no matter, there's Ruben Diaz, there's Kyle Walkers, you know what I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is and so on, but Ilkay Gundogan is Man City's captain. That's interesting because it, it does feel like he's getting better as he gets to this stage of his career that the physicality and the athleticism that he had has not waned significantly enough but that his influence and his knowledge and his uh, just the experience he's, he's kind of it feels like he's still cresting now at some point you know it's football so obviously uh, time remains undefeated are they getting rid of him a season too early? I don't know I don't know I think there's there's an issue somewhere in terms of negotiations because from what I gather, it seems like he wants to stay and it seems like Pep Guardiola wants him to stay, but the club probably have a different sort of view on it. So maybe it is a year early, but then, I don't know, you never know what the future looks like. And it, as I say, it would be a shame to see him leave. And you're right in terms of his, his the way he's playing. And I think as well for some of these players, I think there's him, De Bruyne and the like, for as much as they're doing really well on the field, I think they're also doing like coaching badges and stuff as well. So that means that when they're on there, even though they play in the game, they also see it slightly differently because they have to sort of teach people how to do it as well. So young players around them, they're almost being coached as well as being played with. So players like that, if you can have them on the field, I think it goes such a long way. And, you know, to make it clear, he's a German international and has been for a very, very long time. So clearly his ability is there, his understanding is there. And, you know, come the end of the season, if City win the league or if City win a treble even, like he's going to be the guy that's lifting all three of those, which which says a lot about him as a person. Yeah, 100%. The, the also, the other thing is that um, they were able to rotate a little bit with the game against uh, Real Madrid coming up. Did they rotate enough, do you think? Was it, I mean, obviously coming off a 3-0 win like that, everybody's going to feel pretty good about life. So 
notwithstanding that, does, is it, is it, are they in a great spot now for the Real Madrid game with the results of the weekend, I suppose, is the best way of asking the question? I think so, yeah. I think for some of these games, when you make the rotations, you want to finish the game with a good result and see everyone in good health. And as it stands, it seems like that's what they've got. I think one or two people probably sort of pushing for places for midweek, but I'm sure Guardiola knows what he needs from that game itself. And ultimately, like it, it checked a box. They thought they went to Goodison. It wasn't easy throughout, even though the result make it seem that way. And they, as I say, they've got that winning feeling. And then they were blessed with watching Arsenal the game after, you know, drop points so that, you know, this could be a very, very significant week for them. But now the focus will solely be on, um, on Real Madrid. And the players that, you know, played in that first leg will want to sort of redeem themselves and, and win. And the people who played last year and got knocked out by Real Madrid, I imagine they want to arrest that, deal with that as well and give themselves a chance of, you know, winning the European Championship by, uh, sorry, uh, Champions League by beating Real Madrid at home in front of your own 50,000 fans, which is an opportunity which they tend not to get, to be honest. I know I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball here and hit him a bit, but at, at this juncture, would you expect uh, next season, uh, regard, I know we have to wait and see how teams recruit in the summer transfer window, but would you expect City to push on further ahead of the rest, or would you expect the gap between City and the rest to close next season? Um... I think that's a good question. And the reason I think it's a good question, because I spoke about this, someone was speaking about this yesterday and City, you know, if they win the league, it's not to like county chickens, but it seems pretty close. If they were to win the league, it'd be the fifth time in six years. And it feels like it's a lot. But then when you look back, there've been some incredible title races along the way with the likes of Liverpool and our Arsenal this season up until this point. So in terms of them being miles away from the rest, I think the rest is, it's like, it's dependent on who we're speaking about exactly. I think there are some teams that, you know, I would say they've even underperformed for what they believe they should be doing. And that goes regardless of whatever City or Liverpool or Arsenal have been doing throughout that time. So I think they'll look to sort of recruit to keep the machine going forward. But I think even when we look at games, look back at the seasons where it's City versus Liverpool, essentially, there's one, there's like one point, two points, three points between the two of them after 38 games, which essentially is just one bad result in a midweek that could really sort of define it as such. So, for City, I don't know if it's a case of kicking on. They'll try and continue with what they're doing, but there'll probably be new faces if some guys are leaving. And as a consequence, is that time to adapt the belief that they want to go and sort of do everything they can and win everything that they can? But I think teams like Chelsea will be better next year. I think Liverpool will start better next year. I think Spurs will try and push on again with a new manager. Then you've got Newcastle potentially trying to kick on. Man United hoping to kick on. So this idea of kicking on, it's all relative because all those teams around you as well will inevitably be getting better. So to even be able to in this, be in this position where you can get potentially 90 plus points again, I think it says a lot about them. But I think, as I say, the Premier League will be harder again next year. There's also the point about the, the uh, case that's happening at the moment and what impact that's going to have on either a points deduction or what, whatever the ramifications. There might, there might be no ramifications, but there might, may well be some, and, and that's the, the great unknown. In football and the people you talk to, is that a topic of conversation kind of that hasn't really just been aired publicly? Is everybody chatting about it, or have we kind of parked that no. for now to wait and see? Um. I don't think it's a case of it's been parked. I think when it first came out, it was in the 24-hour news cycle. <clears throat> it's a big topic. But the fact is, and the underlying issue is the fact that it could be a very, very long situation. So as a consequence, we were speaking about stuff which most of us didn't really know in terms of how it's going to be dealt with. And we don't know how long it's going to take either, but it felt like it was something that was in and now it's going to be dealt with straight away, almost like a red card suspension from a weekend or something like that. So I think when you don't really have the information or the power to be able to dictate what happens next, it's a tough thing to continually talk about. And when you do get more information, I think it does become a bigger sort of co bigger uh, conversation as such. But overall, it's, 
I like I found it very tough to talk about because I don't know. And even though I sort of represent City to a certain extent now, like, as I say, I don't know. And I can speak to people within the club. They don't know. Some people believe that they'll be fine. Some people from the outside believe that every, the world is about to like just come crashing down on them. But again, it's just one of those things. I, I can't tell you anything because I really don't know. Yeah, and I, I think the point you make about it being so far away, it, it feels like it's so far away that um, it is difficult to kind of put any... A current relationship between what's happening with what might happen down the road. So, look, that's all fair enough. Let, let's talk about Arsenal. Um, the question that we've been asking is, are they actually going to be better next season? And, you know, there's a, there's a concern, I suppose, that Arsenal are one of those teams, like, uh, maybe a little bit like Leicester, who had a couple of great seasons and nearly qualified for the Champions League. Obviously, Arsenal will be in the Champions League next season, but that there's no guarantee that they're going to be the second best team in England next year to your point about everybody getting better and everybody investing this year you know we know Pochettino is going to be in at Chelsea so we can expect them to be good from the start um, how will Arsenal feel about the opportunity that they've missed this season um, I think that's a good question because it will depend on which sort of like Arsenal fans speaking because they'll be the ones who will know that halfway through the season they had 50 points and as a consequence the league title is right there for them I think it was uh, after game week 29, they had an eight-point gap over Man City. And you'd think with so few games left that that would be enough. Like, And it didn't even, it wasn't even supposed to get to the point whereby a game against Man City at home would be defining, uh, sorry, away would be defining because they still had other games which they could have won themselves. I think they were nearly perfect in that first half of the season. And so like, it wasn't a case they were chasing someone down. Like, They were the front runners. So when you then essentially fall away, and potentially finish the second half of the season with maybe 37 points after having 50 in the first. You know, that is cause for concern. I think you'd look at some of the issues they've had in terms of, say, personnel dropping out and a dip in form, um, some managing some of the bigger games and some of the bigger moments, managing the lead. But I think they will strive to get better, and I think they've got more opportunity. You know, looking at the Champions League, they'll probably try and recruit to sort of suit that need. And ultimately, I think for as good as, say, a starting eleven has been for them, maybe 12, 13 players it seems like the depth hasn't really been there overall in terms of consistent performance and sort of trust from Arteta as well, because overall throughout the league season, he hasn't really tried to change it that much. And I think that probably says a lot. Whereas you look at cities and other teams when they've been doing well, they do like to rotate things just a little bit. So I think they'll try and push on next year. I'm not sure exactly what that looks like, but the fact is it's, it's, it's been such a good season for them, but as they walk away, they leave with the place in the champions league and that's it. You know, and that place could have been gained by finishing fourth as well. So it's a lot of points to achieve that goal and to have not been in something later in the FA Cup, the, the League Cup. Like I fancied them to win Europa League as well. I think there'll be a huge sense of disappointment, but then they have come a long way since that, that last year. But, you know, you need to take a step back to really see that. And in the moment, it's hard to not be emotional and say that it's going to be, it's been a disappointing month for them. The words bottled it were being thrown around a little bit yesterday Nathan, in relation to Arsenal and, and look, I, I kind of almost feel like it was maybe just a, a lack of belief that they could go on and win the league with, with Man City being the team they were up against in, in the race. Is there a mentality thing there? Is, is it harsh or fair on, on Arsenal to use that word bottled? Um, I feel like bottled is aggressive, especially when it's across a series of games. And in some of those games as well, like the Liverpool game, like the West Ham game, <clears throat> they were playing particularly well. But like the two keys, like you're playing away from home in the Premier League in the final third of the season. And as a consequence, like great, strange things happen. And, you know, this isn't necessarily a home and away thing, but like we just saw Brighton dismantle Arsenal yesterday, but they got dismantled by Everton a few days earlier. At this point in the year, 
there's a certain skill to be able to just manage those games, manage those moments and just win football matches. And I wouldn't necessarily say they've bottled it because it's also taken Man City being essentially perfect for the last two, three months, which is an unrealistic thing to sort of perceive the the sort of football world through, if you know what I mean. Like City, as I say, they've been nearly perfect. In other seasons, Arsenal, as I say, if they finish on 87 points, you're in with a good chance of winning a Premier League title. I think given the way things were going, they could have finished on 90 and not won one. And that's the reality of the situation at this moment in time when you have to be so good at this point. Um, but I, I don't think, you know, it's tough because I know what people are thinking. It does sound very clear like they bossed it because they had a lead and now they don't have a lead. But I think it just shows how difficult it is to actually get across the line. And I think more credit needs to be given to Man City and other teams that have won the league in recent years because there is a fine art to be able to get across the line. And unfortunately for Arsenal, they haven't had it this year, but then they also have the second youngest squad in the Premier League as well. So should they know how to do it when essentially most of these guys haven't been there before? John Hartson was on Twitter yesterday making the point that it's a bit of a pattern for the last three seasons. Last year they were trying to qualify for the Champions League in the, the previous year. And so um, he does use the word choked under the pressure. I guess that's the concern if you're an Arsenal fan is that you get so close, so deep into the season and then whatever it is, if it maybe it's just squad depth, but perhaps it's also the manager's treatment of the season. I don't know. It, it does feel as if like the goal becomes attainable. It's right there for you and they can't manage mm. to get over the line. Like last season, their, their recovery from last season is is really good and suggests that maybe there's loads of good stuff happening. So, Perhaps this is a learning and they're building off a much higher base next year. Yeah, I would I would think so. I think it has to be a learning curve for them. I think at the start of last season, they lost their first three games of the season, I believe. And the talk was Arteta was going to be out. Come the end of that season, it's thought that they might be making it for the Champions League and obviously they fell away. The start of the next season, they go on an incredible run and spend most of the season at the top of the Premier League. And again, they are falling away now, but the fall away always feels worse because it's a team that's coming like a train. And I think as well for Man City, for the middle third of the season, they were doing fine, but it was perceived as being worse because Arsenal were, were perfect. And I think that's the way that football can be viewed sometimes. You know, on you're being judged according to like something which you can only match, but you can't better. And that's what's happened with City over these last few weeks. And yeah, they've they've messed up and so on. But I think it's just... It just shows it's a long season. Arteta himself, he had belief in this squad and they were doing incredibly well. They won a lot of very, very big games at key points in the season, it felt like. But they're coming short now. But these guys, they have this memory and this feel and they'll know going into the next season that like they'll have to be better again. But they are one year older, a lot of these young players. They have the experience of coming so close. And I remember some of the games in which you know they had a lead and they didn't manage to... You know, to sort of to get it across the line. I think they will be better next season, but what better guarantees? I'm not sure. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they were in a cup competition and win one of those. But it's not all doom and gloom, and it's a young team making mistakes and a manager that's not been doing it for 20 odd years. Essentially, you know, not being in the best spot either. But they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Before we leave that game, uh, how did Evan Ferguson get on? We're mildly obsessed here about uh, his his current career trajectory. Yeah, he's. Um, He's a big fella and he's doing very, very well. I think it's it's nice to see. Um, and he's part of a Brighton side that, you know, somehow they've got the second best possession stats in the Premier League behind Man City. And I think as well to link it back to Arsenal again. Arsenal, for as good as they've been, it's crazy that all of a sudden they can be outplayed at home when the argument is, you know, Man City, they have this money, they buy all the players. Where's the team that doesn't have the same money as Arsenal come in 
putting on a show, showing the level of coaching and skill, and with people like Ferguson and others, like they're a remarkable team. Are they probably story of the season? Yeah, they really are. Who's getting relegated? Nice handy question to wrap this up. Um, I think Leicester if they don't win in the next couple of days, and then I think Leeds as well. A couple of big teams to go down there. Yeah, Leicester mm. home to Liverpool tonight. Yeah, I, th- I think that. I think that's probably it, but I don't know because I've got this feeling that it's Nottingham Forest versus Arsenal at the weekend and that's Forest's last game of the season. And if they get a positive result, there's a good chance that they'll be up. So I think that crowd will be right up for it and the players will be as well. Uh, so I think they might separate themselves from it. And then Everton themselves, their last home game of the season is at home to Bournemouth. So I think that's probably going to be enough and it's going to be wild seeing a team like Leicester go down, especially given the fact that in that time, the last few years, they've won a Premier League title. But this is nature of the Premier League. You have to be at it all the time or you will be punished. Nadim, great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers for joining us. Cheers. Yes, thank you. Nadim Neal, always great to get his thoughts on the situation in the Premier League. A reminder, OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Alan Quinlan is here with us to talk rugby. Alan, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? Well, what a weekend. Big smile, big smile. Yeah, it, was, it was unbelievable, unexpected, I think. Um, by most people who would have been predicting or any sort of analysis pre, pre-match. pre I think, obviously, when the, the na- team is named, the answer team on Friday, you're thinking there's a chance. And um, I think... It could look at the reality was it still was going to be a very tall order and for for Munster to win that game. Um, they brought a lot of fight, a lot of determination, and and they stayed at it for the eighty minutes, which was proved with the end. Um, I probably spoke about their fitness a bit during the season, and it was really referenced at the start of the season uh, for various different reasons. They were out of the blocks very slow. They didn't have the best of pre seasons. Uh, the emerging Ireland tour affected them early on in September. Um, and they had a dreadful start really with five losses in the first seven games and you know I suppose where where they're at now you're thinking um, it's a great achievement to have built on what they and and if you look back in the last number of weeks going back to the Glasgow game even the Scarlets game in Cork uh, and then losing that game to Glasgow you think that's the season's going to peter out they were in danger of not making Europe not being in the playoffs and um, they've dug in there really and they've had a fair bit of adversity with the injuries and the setbacks around around injuries in the last number of weeks but to go to South Africa and get those two results and um, then go to Glasgow as well so they, and, and away at the weekend the reality here Ger, is and I think nobody's forgetting it or nobody's dismissing it Leinster obviously were their mind and Leo Cullen's mind was probably on, on next week um, when the camera pins up to the people sitting in the stand you're thinking that's some amount of quality uh, we know the depth they have and there's a certain number of players who played on Saturday which would they would make many other teams across Europe they're top class players um, but it gave a little bit of a glimmer of hope and um, 
to be fair, Munster stayed in it. Um, there was times where I thought they should have scored uh, the, and they should have been yeah. a, a little bit more comfortable. Well, just to, to, to tease out the point about the relative strength of the two teams, like Munster coming into the game had a fairly horrific injury list as a result of last week's game. Yeah. And obviously Peter Malley was only fit enough to play the number of minutes that he did. It was incredible that he, he started and obviously had an impact in that period of time. But it wasn't like it was the first choice everybody fit Munster team either. And it wasn't like... Munster didn't deserve the win. They butchered that, that's numerous been, chances. That's been you you being very fair and balanced. I think some people forget that. Um, you know, there's no doubt Leinster ahead of the other three provinces. That's just the reality with their depth. Um, so for any other team to lose f- four or five starters, Andrew Conway isn't around either. You know, he's an international winger. Um, teams below that level of quality that Leinster have. You know, it's very difficult for any other teams in the other provinces. It would be the same if they were missing four, five, six starters, uh, plus other guys injured in the squad, which every squad will have that in every sporting team. Um, there was a lot of opportunities in that game, and I thought that Munster were... If they Munster had lost the game, people would have been asking the question, and I was getting text messages and people asking me during the game, why aren't they kicking the shots at goal? Um, they kept going to the corner. Um if it works out, and I do, I say this in commentary a lot. If you make the decision of a kick, kickable penalty and kick to the corner, it's only right if you score the try. Mm. It's the correct decision when you score, and then if you don't, you're going to go on opportunity lost. It's cup rugby, um, but Graham Rowntree said they're brave, and and to be fair, sometimes brave can be linked with stupidity sometimes, but they are brave. And and if you look at the stats of the game, Ger. And I want to take people back to Connacht Munster uh, a year and a half ago. Um, it was the end of December, start of January. Um, Connacht beat Munster, I think it was 11-10-8 or 11-8. And Johan Vergrand spoke after the game that there was only a score in it. Connacht had a load of penalties in that game. Munster passed the ball 45 times in that game. And that was the stuff that really kind of <clears throat> was lost, that it was so frustrating to watch a performance of a Munster team going to, and that's I've been respectful to, to Connacht, but going up and playing that type of game where you're trying to contain and you're one out passes and you're kicking the ball away. You look at the Munster team this season, and we never thought they'd be in a position to win a trophy. They are now, which is a wonderful situation for them, but they had 20 offloads in that game on Saturday. Leinster had three. Can I just remind everybody that it's a complete fluke that Van Grand is not still the coach. If Van Grand hadn't been offered the money to go to England, he'd still be the Munster coach. Uh, the the Ireland hierarchy wanted to give him a contract extension. Like, you know. Yeah, and every... Uh, look, is, I was... This is I David was, To be fair, like, I, I was one of the people as well saying, you know, continuity and all that stuff, learn. Um, you've had a fair bit of time. You've got to change things around as a coach. Um, I was more disappointed with Stephen Larkham. You know, this uh, wonderful attack-minded player. When yeah, he was but he wasn't Australia. the boss. The, he, the book yeah, stops at the boss, the right? Att- okay, it does, but the attack, he was he was in charge of attack. And Munster's attack, there was glimpses of it certain games, uh, but too often it was kick the ball away and, and, and try and, you but know... But Grant seems to be like a lovely fella, and all the all the uh, people down a there gentleman. really really rate him as, as, a, as a person, but as a coach, and that's all we're talking about here, this isn't a, a, an attack on his person, but as a coach, the rugby was turgid, and it, it showed no signs of this. And within a year, 
the, a well, new attack see, coach, a new a new yeah. defence coach, and a new head coach who gives everybody the opportunity to go. You you go and you tell us what you want this team to be. And I think I've said that all along, Jared. The Munster fans just want to see the team play, have a go. There's no expectation as regards winning Europe or winning the URC because. Uh, the, you want to try and create a bit of optimism with young players and change that you're having a go you're throwing the ball around a little bit um, and you're trying to attack more and that's one big positive for this season even if they don't end up with winning the final which is going to be very difficult people will be happy with the way they've played they've re-engaged with the fans there's an excitement there and bar you know, a couple of performances at the start of the season, which was mitigation for, and maybe the Glasgow game. You know, you even look at the games, uh, the Toulouse games, over in Toulouse in January, you know, attacking, winning in Northampton, um, winning in Edinburgh in December when it was all the Scottish internationals were back. They've had some big away wins and continuously you see him trying to attack and I think that's pleasing people Okay, yeah. you don't want to get away from the traditions of getting your your, your forward stuff right but um, there's been a lot of changes there and they've used a lot of players in the league this year up on 60 players um, which so is, they've, they've developed some strength and depth as well yeah and they have some good young fellas so like where they're at now you're looking at last half, way half full more than half full whereas a couple of weeks ago against Glasgow it was this is going to be the same old story. It's going to finish off um, negatively. They're not going to be... Europe is so important for, for you know, even Connacht win in Europe. It's massive for yeah. this year because you're getting that the money from that. You're getting crowds. You're getting the revenue around the corporate hospitality, all that kind of stuff. So it's vital to try and keep on the coattails of, of the Leinster machine, which has been phenomenal and fantastic, and they've done a wonderful job there. So, um, yeah, it was, it was very important at the weekend. And look... Again, I say it again, you know, it wasn't, this wasn't a Leinster C team. This was a Leinster A for about four or five fellas and then, mm. you know, yeah, with the back row, very strong squad. The back row that essentially played the whole game was uh, Deegan, Van der Fleer and Conan. I know Van der Fleer comes on after a minute, but like... And, it, it, and made 28 tackles in the game. You know, that, that, that back row could easily play for Ireland in the World Cup. Yeah, we wouldn't yeah. bat mileage. Um, if Doris is rested for one of the games or is injured or is, is you know, suspended, heaven forbid. But like... I, 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 I would. Um, it's a massive, massive win for Munster, and it's a sea change, I think, in terms of the rivalry. And the rivalry, hopefully, is back. The one downside from um, Munster's perspective, I thought Healy was sensational in the first half. I thought he was really excellent, and uh, now he's gone. And Crowley obviously is going to be the ten. But then, what happens after that? Who's the, you know, where's when Crowley's away with Ireland and rested, and his minutes are are capped? Um, I, I, they can't be happy about the fact that Healy is. Not playing. Well, they made an offer to him, but I think he's obviously made a decision that you know when he made the decision, he wasn't going to play for Ireland. Yeah, and and maybe he was down to pick an order with Munster and and change of scenery and all that kind of stuff. And now he's number one. Yeah, and to be fair, he's responded magnificently, Ben Healy, and he's undoubted talent. I think where he was probably. Uh, suffering a little bit last season was was physically and making tackles defensively in in some games, and probably the energy he was bringing. And we've seen a totally different Ben Healy. We've seen the true quality and what a good player and what a top quality player he can be. So, yeah, again, it's making those kind of decisions that can backfire. And you're in the Premier League, they might let go of an academy player, and suddenly he's a star player with someone else. So look, he's Kevin done. De Bruyne. And to be fair, to be fair to Ben Healy, he's responded brilliantly. And um, yeah, amazing. 
Yeah, and he was very, very good the other day until he got the bang in the head and some stitches and went off. And, uh, you know, Munster were down to the bare bone. I must say this, and to be fair, he hasn't played in a good few weeks. Rory Scannell was outstanding when he came on. You know, and, and it's very difficult at times. And here's a player who's been there for a long time. And I was just delighted for him that he, he was able to step up in a game like that and say, I'm still around and I still have quality. He signed a new contract this year, hasn't played a lot for Munster, and, and he was brilliant. Jack O'Donoghue off the bench had a great impact as well. So um, that's even more pleasing for me that some of the players that maybe have been questioned a few times over the last number of years um, are not playing international rugby. They came on and they contributed and... and you know, I think a lot of people can take a lot out of this. Obviously, if you're a Leinster fan and you're ruthless, you're thinking you're 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 disgusted or devastated by the loss. But in some ways, and I know I'm a Munster man saying this, it's maybe a good thing for Irish rugby. Oh, I think it's a good thing for Irish rugby too. Sure. It absolutely. gives a glimmer of hope for Connacht and Ulster as well to try and close that gap. Yeah. And you've got to have nothing but respect for Leinster. And again, the reality of what was sitting in the stands is there for everyone to see. But um, it was a great, great determination, great heart out of Munster. And coupled with that, they played really good rugby. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to sit back here and kick the ball up yeah. the touch lines. They actually played a lot of rugby. Now, they got some breaks in the game um, that would be interpreted a little bit what, different. What did you make of the referee's performance? There was a little bit of controversy in the build-up, of course. There's a couple of decisions that I thought Munster got the benefit of. But um, I think... Um, the one probably in the 71st, 72nd minute, the scrum, I think Frank Murphy probably uh, could have given a penalty there All to Leinster. Monster player. I, it's not I know that, that was part of the bill, know, of I know that's yeah, not to yeah, do yeah, with yeah, that. Because yeah, yeah. Frank has done matches before yeah. where I would have said, well, Frank was very hard on Monster. Um, so it's a difficult one for him. It just uh, appeared like it was the same scrum in the first half. That was it. Okay. But I look back on this again numerous times and, okay... The scrum wasn't settled when the ball came in and could easily have been a penalty. Probably should have been a penalty. And I think if Frank looked back and he said, well, I could have given, I could give a penalty there. But if the scrum was moving around, it was never settled. So he interpreted that. That's the game, though, because that's on the 10-yard line. If Leinster get a scrum there, scrum penalty, they kick the ball over the bar and the game is over. Luke McGrath could have been Sinbin in the first half. He didn't yellow card him. He had made a tackle on the ground previous to that on Jack Crowley, which was a penalty. A couple of minutes later, his hand is out where Frisch potentially gets the ball. There is cover coming across. That could have been a yellow card. Uh, the Ryan Baird one, which some people said were, was harsh, that's um, the TMO called that. Um, so that wasn't Frank Murphy's call. But That's the knock-on. It's kind of hard to see which hand it comes off. And where Bears got Yeah, I think look when you slow it right down and look at it a good few times, you can see it. It does hit Tommy O'Brien's hand. How much of it, his hand? Again, it's but that was the TMO that uh, Ben Whitehouse called that. Um, I don't, anyway, once we're the better team is the thing, right? The Lancer fans can give out and complain about that, but like that. Does yeah, but complaining about the referee is 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 a bit of sour grapes. Yeah, and, it's and um, I thought Frank Murphy did well in the game. There was a couple of decisions, certainly, that could have went the other way. So, and and they're key, but ultimately, maybe it was just that day, one of those days that these things happen. And it wasn't unfair. I know myself from the playing game. sport. If you stay in the fight, Jerry, you create a little bit of luck. Yeah. 
Uh, at times, there was both sides infringing at breakdowns. Penalties could have went either way. Very harsh um, lesson for those mm. Leinster players. But if you look at the amount of tackles that, that um, Leinster had to make in the game, um, it's it's phenomenal. 246 tackles. When do Leinster have to make that many tackles? So they, they couldn't I keep the ball. You, they when, couldn't get their patterns of play yeah, going. Yeah, and Munster had it for so long. That's um, very worrying from a Leinster perspective. Nearly 60% possession. It's nearly the same... Fifty-six percent territory. So it wasn't. This wasn't the case of Munster hanging on, and Munster probably could possibly have won that game, and possibly should have won that game by more. Yeah. They had great opportunities, and they, you could argue that they weren't clinical enough, and that they should have taken chances. But mm-hmm. you don't kick to the corner and suddenly think, "Well, there's a foregone conclusion here. We're going to maul Leinster over the line. They're too good for that." Um, and I really find it baffling that people start criticising Leo Cullen here. You know, for what he's done and what he's achieved for Leinster. Yeah, if I, Leinster win that game, he's he's a genius, and it was a masterful stroke. Um, you can It's very difficult to pick your full strength team there and manage what they've done in the last few weeks. The only comfort is they've all been at home. They haven't been getting on an airplane, traveling, and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's baffling to think that they question that. Like sport can be fickle, and I don't Munster think anybody... have had so many disappointments over the years. So, yeah. look for them to see the joy in people's faces. Who the kind of die-hard, real, passionate rugby fans who've travelled all over to to stay with him through really tough times. It was a good day for them, and it was a great day for the team for the effort they put yeah, in. Yeah, and a great, great um, atmosphere as well. I do want to play you this though, Quinny, because uh, apparently it doesn't really matter. It was all in vain. Oh yeah. The the whole thing is done and dusted. The Stormers are the URC champions. They just they're they're collecting I, the trophy. I believe so. Yeah. Is this the trophy lift? Can we roll it there, Rocky? <laughs> That's them watching Munster kick the drop goal. Throwing the babies in the air. You recognise these people, Quinny? I, I do, yeah. That's the head coach, John Dobson, there, and this is Joseph Dweber, the hooker. We're going to F them, them up. Apologies for any young ears listening. It. A little Eight. bit of motivation, but then somebody else said to me afterwards that. Um, because they don't like to travel. They, they don't want to go economy to Dublin again for the final, and uh, they can uh, they can stay at home. Um, I just couldn't see Andy Farrell, Joe Schmidt, Leo Cullen, Stuart Lancaster as a coach, kind of high fiving people after a match. They'd be running uh, like even Declan Kidney back in the day. He'd be running around saying, "Turn off the music! What the hell are you doing? You think you've won this already? You know." But look, they do bit of emotion after the match. They and do think, they do they've, think won they've won. That's, it, a, yeah. that's really disrespectful. That's really disrespectful to Munster. It was deleted afterwards, as usual. Jeez, but it still uh, happened, though. Yeah, you need to shoot the cameraman there who's ever, who's ever taken that video and posted it. But, look, they're an unbelievably powerful side and uh, they're having a few drinks after the game. Um, we've, I've been in that situation before where you're kind of waiting in another semi-final to know where you're going to play. I think Scarlet's around 2002. They were nearly beating Leinster in Nottingham Forest ground and we were all kind of watching in Thorne Park waiting and hoping that the Scarlets would win. Thinking that you have a better chance against the Scarlet side, not being disrespectful, they had a lot of great players at that time and really good squad, but the English Leicester team was full of all the English internationals and Back and Johnson and all oh, these yeah. fellas. And we're thinking if Scarlets get there right, 
it balances itself out a little bit. It's on in. in um, is that the hand of God? Well, we weren't none, uh, 2002, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, just played. so brazen, though. I've seen teams celebrating, like, you know, a potential opponent or whatever. Coach, but it's, it's so. Coach. It's, it's so the coaches there that are alone, you know. Look, they're relaxing. They've just won a semi final. I can understand players being delighted. They do have hot advantage. They do, yeah, and do you know what I mean? But Joseph Dweba kind of a little bit into the camera. I don't know. Uh, a strange one for me, but. Um, it will be a mammoth task for Munster, but they'll have players back now and they'll, they'll, they'll have a chance, a real good chance. Um, Connacht and the end of the Andy Friend era came to a, a suitable end down there where they absolutely took the fights to them, scored some brilliant tries. Their backs were astonishingly good and creative and they're just a little bit underpowered when it comes to this level of competition. They didn't manage the game, Jared. like... <laughs> That'll be the frustration when they look back at it. Um, territorial kicking, um, exiting out of their own 22, um, mistakes, you know, kicking penalties down the touchline. Jack Carty missed kick two of them dead. Um, really frustrating, for, for I think, because they really asked a lot of questions of, of the Stormers. They controlled the ball, they held on to possession for, for such long periods. They were incredibly brave in what they were trying to do. But then naive in other, other situations where they kicked loosely. Um, it was a mixed bag as regards managing the game from, as regards the effort and the, the, you know, the commitments and the, 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 the intensity around what they were trying to do. The way they responded after, you know, going 8-0 up and then they were, you know, they're 24-8 down. You'd think the game is gone. Um, Connor Oliver scores that try just before half time and I thought yes that's it They're, it gives them a real lifeline going into half time and then they come back score another try and uh, it's 24-20 and that's it you need to just shut up shop a little bit here be tight in defence um, be a bit practical in your approach and get down there kick a penalty bring it back to a point make them nervy and they just didn't do that they were a little bit loose at times and defensively at times you know when you think that the Stormers had 29% possession in that game and they scored six tries now that would indicate that there's individual brilliance there which Manny Libok the out half was phenomenal he had a super game he scored 23 points two tries and um, he was brilliant but some of the balls the, the kicking and the defensive line was just loose and they allowed the Stormers to run back at them and they're big men and they're, they have that bit of uh, ability to step you and go through you. Um, so I thought a couple of the tries they conceded were soft. They'll be disappointed with that. It's a shame really because th- there was it was a game there that I really felt at 24-20 that Connacht, they were asking all the questions here and it was just small margins. Look, and it's hard. It's easy for me to say it here. They were brilliant. And what an end to the season for them as regards where they were, again, three months ago, under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Not looking like they'd be in the playoffs. Not you can look forward like to next season with Yeah, the, they're in Europe hope. as well. And it's massive for them um, to be in Europe. At the same way for Munster, from a financial point of view, sponsors, all that kind of stuff, excitement around building a squad. Um, it was a pity because, you know, in the end, they... they you know, they got late tries, the Stormers, to put it to bed. But I thought, yeah. you know, it was an opportunity lost for them. Where, for do, you think, where do you think Joey Carby's playing his rugby next season? Um, I think he'll be playing in Munster. Right. Um, I think he's got to show a bit of grit now and determination to, to get back. 
um, show his quality. It's been a tough couple of weeks for me. I've watched him at a lot of these games and just looking down the sideline, he's doing bringing on water, he's bringing on messages. Really difficult situation for him. He needs a little bit of an arm around him, um, and that's the cutthroat nature of sport. You know, ruthless decisions against you know a player here who I still think has massive quality. Um, has become a little bit um, lost in a sense that you know he's he's out of the Irish setup. He's now not getting picked in the Munster Twenty Three. Um, so look, I hope somebody kind of puts the arm around him and and picks him up, teammates as well, uh, because he's he's a quality player. I think going away, I'd love to see a fight out of him now to say right, okay, you know it is what it is. I'm going to have a really good preseason here. Uh, get myself right again and try and reinvigorate um, myself, himself. Going away, obviously, sometimes a change of fortunes if you're not in uh, yeah. getting picked can help, but I'd love to see it. There'll be plenty of opportunity for him to play next season for Munster with Jack Crowley in the Ireland squad. Because Crowley now is absolutely going to be in the Ireland squads. Like, if you're picking an out half from the performances at the weekend, maybe Healy's slightly ahead of him, but, you know, obviously he goes off. But Crowley's ahead of his Leinster compatriot who he was up against at the weekend and Frawley as well probably yeah I think that the, the the pleasing thing for Jack Crowley is um, you know obviously it's a massive moment for him at the end it's a massive moment for, for Munster uh, but I think he overall playing at 12 moving into 10 um, and he hasn't been his best you know his two performances in South Africa I think weren't the best from Jack Crowley Um but he's an undoubted talent. He's a real footballer. He's a physical player. Just look at the the build up to the drop goal at the end. The way he runs back, um, and you know knocks Harry Byrne backwards. Um, he's got momentum. I think he he he's not afraid to be physical. He made some really good tackles in the game. So you know he's still growing and learning. I think Jack Crowley, and there's more to come. But that's a big moment for him. And sometimes people, individuals in sport, need that to kind of kick on. Um, very, very talented player. A couple of quick comments for you. Owen Alcock says, at the end of the day, if Munster had lost, it would have been a tragedy. They were in control for most of the match, choosing to kick for the corner showed intent and mindset, but almost cost them. Michael White says, Munster have probably done Leinster a favour. No complacency next week. Munster physically brilliant. Leinster too many unforced errors, knock-ons, line-outs, etc. Sharpness for next week. I don't know how important this week I don't know how important the defeat is. Like it's just a downer in training for a few days, and then they move on. Because yeah, I think it's it makes some it creates a bit of uh, tension, a bit of anger, more determination. Not that you kind of would drop your standards. I don't think Ronan O'Gar would be thankful to Munster, um, <laughs> kind of poking the bear a little bit like this. But will um, it have an impact? On that it game? does bring a bit of pressure on Leinster, and and if it's used in the right way, yeah, it can fire them up even more. Um, you know, very small margins mm. this level, Shane, and sometimes the mental thing of of creating that edge. Um, but look, Saturday will be a belter of a game, I think, against two heavyweights. And uh, but I think Leinster. Look, very small margins. If, as I said, if Leo Cullen wins that game and Leinster win it, it's the best decision ever. So it's yeah, you kind of live by the sword and die by the sword. And look, inevitably. The run of matches, you know, Munster had won two of the last 12. One of them was a Rainbow Cup match. Um, it was just their day on Saturday, but they created their day 
over a period of time. Yeah, and I think the, the last number better. of weeks they've yeah. become tighter as a group. I think South Africa really galvanised them that that trip. And I've one last one for you here. But we've got time for uh, <coughs> has Antoine Frisch a chance of the World Cup squad? Asks Peter M. I would say so. Yes, and I've been saying that for a while. He needs to probably, you know, just tighten up in certain parts of his game. Um, but he's a wonderful player. And you look at the end of the game, him cleaning out breakdowns there. He's not afraid of the hard yards. And he's the most similar player you'll see probably not just in, in Ireland, but in, in, in Europe um, to Gary Ringrose. I'm not, he's not at Gary Ringrose's level, but I think he has the ability to get there. He's a great elusive runner. He's physical, good carrier. Um, and I think he has a chance. I think he should be. Lo- he will be being looked at for sure. Did any of the Leinster players damage themselves in the eyes of the Ireland selectors, given the fact that they couldn't upset the rhythm of Munster and that they get sucked into playing the game and allowing Munster to dominate the way they did? No. There's no player that played for Leinster at the weekend that would have damaged their Irish chances. I think uh, it was an incredibly intense game and, and that's the way it should be looked at. Um, credit to both sides, like phenomenal work rate um, and tension and and you know intensity to the game. So there's nobody there that kind of had glaring mistakes and and made lots of had lots of issues and that played themselves out of contention. It wouldn't be viewed like that. Obviously, if it goes over a number of games, you start to to look at that. But um, no, I don't think so. What about the Leinster players who weren't playing? Much better for them not to be playing in that game when you lose, uh, when it comes to selection for this But if they were playing, it's unlikely they would have lost, to be fair, because they're top-class, world-class players. It isn't just good international players. There's world-class players there that the camera was panning to open the the stand. So um, Munster were given the opportunity. They took it. If they didn't, you know... Someone said to me on Friday, if Munster don't win this game, it'll be it'll be another disaster. It was like that game last the end of May last year when when Leinster with a very much second stroke third string team beat Leinster thirty five twenty five in the Aviva, and um, the last league game proper round eighteen last year, um, that was nearly worse. It's not it's bad enough losing those big games, but then when you're beaten by a team like that, um, so. Uh, yeah, it was a really, really, really important game that Munster won that one. All right, so feeling pretty good about life, Munster well, fans. Well, you know, it's. I think it's. I like the fact that they, of course, they jumped around at the end, and that's out of respect to how good Leinster are being, have been, and are. Um, you got to celebrate the victories. Yes, the way. but I, I like the fact that you know Peter O'Mahony, the game face on, even Jack Crowley, the way he spoke at the end yeah, was yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Um, there's no point in doing all that if you don't turn up in a final. There's no guarantee that they'll, you know, they're 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 going to be very much underdogs. But you know, there's an opportunity there now, and that's what their focus has to be on. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Quinny. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. We'll uh, obviously have uh, Alan's preview of the Heineken Champions Cup final a little bit later on in the week. But for now, if you want to get in touch, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. You can uh, subscribe on YouTube if you want to leave a comment. YouTube.com forward slash Off the Ball. We're live there every morning, and of course, you can get us on your smart speaker by just telling uh, your smart speaker to play OTB Sports the, Radio. The Red 78 will be a bit easier this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely with Neve and myself. But anyway, it's been a positive few weeks in the Red 78. There you go. Uh, what's rare is what... I know it has. It's been a, a massive um, change. We're turning our attention to Hurling now. I'm delighted to say Noel Connors is with us for um, a slightly more difficult conversation. Noel, good morning to you. How are you? Um... <laughs> I'd like to say pretty good, but not so good. 
where do we start? What 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 is it about the round robin, and what what what? How do you feel about this whole thing at the moment? Like, where is water for hurling? That's a very very difficult question to ask. Um, it's it's so hard to know, and it's it's not just something that has happened since the round robin. I think that we've struggled for quite a large period, particularly underage. And obviously, if your underage structures aren't in place. It's very, very difficult then to transform those guys coming through um, development squads into senior squads. It's it's challenging enough to do it with really good structures in place at underage, but it's a hell of a lot more difficult when you don't have that underage. So I think that that's probably the starting point. The starting point is to try and, I don't know, put some sort of shape on what underage structures are in Walford. We've probably neglected that for quite a long period and it's something that we really need to review. There was a strategic committee put in place there a number of years ago and there was some uh, kind of conclusion and outputs, but I don't really think they were implemented in any uh, real meaningful way. And I think that's really important. You now start to see the likes of your clears, which we saw the weekend, particularly even underage. They were fantastic minors, under 20s. They're obviously in their 20 Munster final, uh, doing really well in the football as well. And obviously their, their seniors are more, more or less true to, uh, the All Ireland series in Hurling. And you, you know, you can't, it's, you look at Leinster rugby. I watched a little bit of Leinster and Munster when I was flicking between both. And you look at the depth and the strength they have, albeit they got better again, but, it's the academies that are really bringing forward Leinster rugby, and it's it's no different for Waterford. If we want to be successful and try and stay in that top tier, we really need to focus on our underage structure. Because uh, I haven't got a chance to read all of uh, Anthony Daly's piece today, but he's like, at some point, you have to stop just blaming the manager uh, for what's going on. And it did feel like there were young players coming through at a decent clip when Derek McGrath was in charge and obviously there's like really good club hurling it seems certainly uh, the standout team is capable of holding it their own against anybody else but they don't always have it their own way the whole way through the water for championship and I could be wrong about that but it did feel like there was a competition for them there and so that there should be enough strength for the team to be able to compete or to produce 30, 35, 40 senior hurlers who are capable of competing at the right level at the moment, but they seem to be getting further away. Yeah, and like even what you just said there, Jared, like there's so many different parts to that that like scream out at me. Like Ballygunner going for ten in a row, and like that's not on Ballygunner. Like they're doing everything right underage and at, school, at like primary school level, they're putting in Trojan work, and they're starting to see the benefits of it. I don't know. Last year, <laughs> when I looked at some of the results, they were beating club teams within you know every stage. If it's the the group stages, the whole way through. They were beating most teams 10 plus points an okay, hour. Sorry, I thought they were getting a bit more of a game than that. They're obviously not. No, they're not. And right. like, that's, that's like, that's not a game. That's not a Bally Gunner thing. That's not a, a negative on Bally Gunner. They're doing what they're doing right. But, uh, it's probably for the rest of us now to try and fill and fill that void and try and bridge that gap. And again, that's not, a, that's, you know, a generational thing where you have to put it up in like starting like we have an academy under fours. Uh, and you have to start at that stage and try and build it up. So you're talking about this in maybe a 10-year period. And I will be very mindful of the fact that that might actually happen at Watford. But we actually are struggling. Like I looked at, I was looking at some of the stats. So since since uh, 2015, we've played minor. Uh, we played 26 matches. We've won five, we've drawn one, and we've lost 20. So that's 19% return. Since we won the All-Ireland under, under 20 in 2016, we've lost every game since. 
Like, that is not a good return for Waterford Ireland. And obviously, again, we talk about the pathways on it. Like, if, if you're not winning underage, it's very, very difficult to inspire lads to go and play with the senior setup when it's in so, um, it's so demanding on persons. And like, the reality is, if you're going to commit to 35 hours plus a week, you need to be winning. You certainly need to be competing, but you need to be winning. I think on average this year, we scored like, I think it was like 17 or 18 points on average with no goal in the first three games. Uh, and that's not going to do it. So, and again, as you said here, it's not down to the manager. It's down to the underage structures that filter the whole way through. And then you would hope that you'll have a successful senior team that can compete. That might not be down to the manager, no. But what, what is down to the manager, I guess, is the style of play and the decision-making in terms of man-marking and that sort of thing. I was listening to James O'Connor speaking on, on off the ball with ourselves after the match, and he was talking about Waterford not playing to their strengths, and he said the players look confused by what the identity of the team is. So do you, do you feel like that's the case? And, and if so, who's that down to? Is that down to the manager or the players? Um, yeah, look, there's, I'm very mindful of the fact that I would not necessarily blame the management or indeed the players. The reason for it, now that sounds like I'm not blaming anyone, but I'd be mindful of the fact that these are lads that are really trying hard to be successful and mm. to win. Also with Davey, like Davey is probably putting in 70 plus hours a week trying to get the team to perform to the best of their ability. We've seen like what he can do against Limerick in the first round. And I think that that's what he's trying to emulate every day you go out. Bearing in mind that we've had a massive turnover, I think since 20, 2019, we've had 18 fellas leave that team. And I think, uh, I kind of listened to it briefly. I didn't listen to the whole thing, but like Jackie, Jackie Turner was on last night on the Sunday game talking about like leaderness. Like it's, it, that's a very kind of harsh yardstick to hit people with when you consider the fact that Jamie Barron is probably the oldest there by uh, maybe a three or four year period. And he, um, you know, it was a three or four year period because of so many, so many people left maybe three or four years ago. Uh, and a lot of the other lads are quite young and inexperienced. And the reality is for Wolf Carlin has always been the case. We don't necessarily have the depth to even go back to the days of like your Dan's, your Ken's, your own Kelly's, your Milan's, etc. The reality is like we had like maybe 70 or 18 players that were at a standard to play at inter-county senior level. We've always struggled with depth. So when you consider all those things, this league basis is never going to really work unless you have, as I said before, a really uh, developed team with 35 fellas that are willing to play and able to play every day you go out there. Um, and that's the reality. We even look at Limerick where we look at their bench and you're saying, wow, that's incredible. But even now with the likes of Sean Finn been out for 12 months, you're kind of saying, who's going to fill that void? And Limerick are not going to be as good as what they generally are on the basis that he's gone. So I think you have to be mindful of so many different variables. It's easy to say and point at Davey and matchups and that type of thing. But the reality is, he's the one that trained every night. He's the one that's mm. watching all the matches. He's the one doing the analysis. The, the matchup, I guess, that got that got the... I guess the one that was in my head was uh, Dara Lyons marking Tony Kelly. Tony Kelly obviously has a field day. And the argument was made yesterday that Lyons perhaps better utilised as a midfielder or a half forward or even a wing back maybe so maybe that was the, the matchup that I was thinking look it's not easy to mark Tony Kelly let's be honest but yeah. was Daryl Lyons the right man to put on him and the other side the question is then who do you put on him uh, yeah. you know the obvious thing is you say oh yeah you don't put Daryl on him but then like who do you, who do you put on him <laughs> uh, so it, like I understand the point and like again as you said Shane like it's it's very easy like say yeah, no who, who marks Tony Kelly? Is it who, who keeps Tony Kelly quiet for, for 70 minutes? Uh, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. If you can kind of keep him quiet for 30 or 40 minutes, you'd be doing particularly well. Um, 
But I think like the core of the issue is for Watford Hurland to be successful. And again, as I said, it could be a 10-year period where Watford might not necessarily be successful because you really need to look at the underage structures. Like Clare have put in phenomenal work. Limerick have been doing it for years. Um, you need to put in like things like your coach is underage to make sure that, you know, if you're starting out under 12s, that you're not necessarily like just picking like 24 lads under 12s that are at the best age because they might be a lot bigger and stronger than the other guys. But like the reality is by the time they come to 14, will they still be the best guys? But they would have got the experience of playing there. So the natural thing is to pick him. Whereas if you look at Cork a number of years ago, they didn't put a team in a Tony Forreston because they said they'd have their own tournament under 14. Um, and they bring a hundred plus kids together. Like that is the way in which you should be doing it. Because what you need is you need more people availing of your programs. You need to have succession plans on, right, this is what we're doing under 12, this is what we're doing under 13, 14, 15, 16. So by the time they get to minor, that they're actually athletically prepared to, to be able to take the hits, do the hard training and also to perform. Albeit the fact as well is that's hugely important, the athletic side of things. However, you need to still have a good hurling coach in, in place as well. Like there's really good hurling coaches in Watford. We've looked at the likes of, obviously, you mentioned Derek McGrath a few minutes ago. You have the likes of Pat Carney. You have Don O'Rourke, who's a hurling coach with Carl uh, Corners at the moment. He was with the Watford Camogie for a number of years. They really, really well. Like, there is really good hurling coaches. I think it's probably... But we need to, like, a reset button where... Not that you forget about the seniors and the older lads for a period of time, but you nearly need to focus on the younger lads, put all your time and energy, and you would hope in a 10-year period that you will start to see some sort of transition from those guys into senior setups where they're really, really competitive and doing really well, and then hopefully winning. This is, um, you know, uh, hard work and, and difficult, and it doesn't feel like there's any fix coming down the road? No, and that's... About, that's the, the more frustrating as in look the reality is and I will never say GA should be professional and I'm quite the opposite I'm, I'm very much like stick to what we're what we're about we're about community we're about family we're about you know all of those things that make the GA amazing and wonderful and different uh, but what we do need to do is put some structure as a county on what that looks like so if you have to employ someone like an athletic performance coach to basically put plans in place and have like three or four like younger people in specific areas that can look after, we'll say, if you're down in East Watford, for instance, if you're Valley or Passage, etc., the whole way into like Mount Sound or Moore de la Salle and so on, uh, you put a, a kind of some sort of, you, you might go to the arena out here in SCT or Watford, uh, you use that as your base and you train there three or four times, maybe a week, and you have someone that's employed on a part-time basis to basically watch what they're doing and you do that the whole way through. Um, and you obviously have someone overseeing it, you have someone in Mid Watford and you have someone in, in West Watford. Because if you keep doing the same thing again, like that's expecting different results. That's crazy. Like everyone knows that. So you need to look at like, what can we do and what can we do to, to, to make us successful? Because the reality is we are a Hurling County. We, we perceive ourselves as a Hurling County, even though a lot of West Warford would be considered football. When you look at like Denier, you look at Balnacorti, et cetera, Rackormack. Um, but we are a Hurling County and that is the reality. And we need to put as much time and energy into the young kids. So by the time that they come to minor, that they're, going well beyond that 19% of winning rate um, over the last number of years.
No, really thoughtful stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. So, Noel Connors there with a really brilliant insight into the situation at Waterford. Six minutes past nine this morning. Some highlights for you on the OTV Podcast Network. You can get the Ronnie O'Sullivan interview. It's brilliant with Shane. The best of our GA interviews from the weekend, post-match stuff and analysis. And also, Kenny Cunningham speaking about Evan Ferguson and Arsenal's collapse. You can follow off the ball across our social channels and subscribe to the OTV Podcast Network. After the ads, Rory Best. First, Anthony Moyles in the studio. Back after these. You're listening to OTB AM. Right, it's seven minutes past nine. Uh, we are talking football with Anthony Moyles. Um, obviously, the Rory Gallagher situation is ongoing at the moment. Um, uh, he had stepped aside before the game. It has yet to emerge how long he has stepped aside for. We'll find that out in the coming days. There's not much that we can say about the situation at the moment from a legal perspective. Um, but I think uh, people will have seen... Nicola Gallagher's Facebook post and I'll have seen her interview hopefully in the uh, Irish uh, Sunday Independent yesterday and I'd urge you to read both of those and also you can read Roy Gallagher's statement as well um, so we're not going to talk too much about it right uh, just because we can't but in terms of Derry's performance and their ability to shut out noise maybe this victory um, means more than just the trophy coming down the road or, or maybe uh, maybe it doesn't matter I'm not sure it's, I'm kind of Struggling to make sense of, of what um, the performance and the pitch means for them yesterday. Yeah, it's um, it, there's no doubt about it. It was a difficult week for them. Obviously, preparation-wise, um, it was a curveball that I'm sure they weren't expecting. Um, there's a lot done, you know. They're, they're, they're a very focused team. They're a very diligent team. They're a very disciplined team. So they're a team that are well-groomed and well-versed in how they play. Mm. So, you know, there's not there's not a whole pile. The week of a game such as this, you're literally just making sure that everyone's in the right frame of mind. So, yes. Okay. So, does this cause things to go completely off kilter? Um, can it be very detrimental to the mindset? Can it be very detrimental to people? I, I, I think Gallagher would have obviously gone and he would have addressed the players and he would have said, listen, this is something that I need to do. Um it is a decision that I need to make probably to protect not only his children as he said in the statement but also to protect you as players and to protect the group um, so for that fact you know, I'm going to step aside for this game um, and it would have been handled in that, in that vein I would imagine um, I think the players would have been professional enough to say right well we're the player fellas on the pitch and that is it at the end of the day Jerry. you know as soon as you cross the white line they're out there you even here I've, I've forgotten the man's name now but the the, 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 the manager who stood in for him Kiramina, yeah. yeah Kiramina you know and he said I couldn't even get a, 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 um, a an instruction onto the field such was the vigour and the noise and the clamour and the intensity of the game and really you are like I mean you know I know you know the, the famous Jim Gavin thing of well if you're shouting in a player's during a match <laughs> you know, you haven't told them what to do pre-game and they're not really ready. So I think when you go up the levels um, and you're playing at that type of level, they, they know where they are. You're, you're, you're empowering the players and you're trusting the players on the field. And although, and of course, it would have had an effect, um, I think they would have been focused in on, on the job and what they needed to do, really. Let's talk about Armagh for a minute then before we come back to the individual performances on Derry in particular. Um a second penalty shootout defeat is the type of thing that can get in on the side. You know, you start thinking about uh, the uh, England and other teams who have lost uh, Atletico Madrid. Uh, do they care? Do they can they recover from this? Is it a, is it like 
ah, lads, don't be worried about this. You know, people had Derry in their top three for a large part of the season mm-hmm. and uh, they're going to cause endless difficulties to anybody now. It seems they have matured from last season and they're better from an attacker perspective. So this doesn't matter. We go again. It's an All-Ireland series. That's all that matters. It's hard to know. And we've spoken about this all year uh, with regard to Armagh. Um, I think Armagh cut the cloth sometimes to suit who they're playing. Okay, I think they do an awful lot of focus on the opposition, which is good, which is a good thing. You know, like I mean, a lot of players will say, "Oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's only we only focus on ourselves." And again, at that level, you have to, of course, take the opposite. But I think, I think they really drill down into trying to get their matchups correct and even their style of play and tinkering with things. And we've mm-hmm. spoken about how sometimes they were nearly played with abandonment, kicking long balls into the full forward line. Very exciting style of football. And they probably said last year, well. You know, it didn't get us to where we wanted to be. Well, being ultra conservative, or sorry, more conservative than they, I don't think they're ultra conservative, but certainly being more conservative than they were hasn't necessarily got them to where they want to be as well. So I still think they have to find that balance. It's a very difficult thing to do playing Derry in the sense of if you give them the ball um, and if you are not set up unbelievably disciplined in your in your defensive setup, they will pick holes. Mm. And what they'll do is they'll drag you left and right. And we've looked at all the various different ways that Derry can open you. You know, they go they hang they they force one side and they switch it to the far side or they create lots of space or they crowd the full forward line. So we know all the different things. But the main thing is it's 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 an unbelievably disciplined and focused uh, defensive display that you have to try to eradicate and and, 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 and stop Derry's scores. They were they were very successful at that. They had moments in that game, Jer, where they could have put the. I think they had the they had the foot on the neck of Derry, and they just didn't kill them. Taking the point instead of the goal, a few wides, yeah. particularly. Just you know, the very first, the, the, I counted it was forty-seven passes in the first three and a half minutes. Forty-seven passes. I think one kick pass, forty-six. Sorry, one kick pass, one sideline, and forty-five hand passes in the first three and a half minutes first three and a half minutes of the game, which kind of set the tone for the first half. Now, there was, it was hard to detect, but there was a big breeze there mm. in that first half. You and can see one of the, one of the, in the first half, um, there's a, a ball that looks like it's going well wide of the left, yeah, and at yeah. the last second, the yeah. wind takes it. And I think McGuigan takes a free as well, and it kind of drops short. You can just see that the, that the, the breeze that was against. So I just, I just felt that, again, their conservatism cost them in the end now there's a there's a very thin line between what you need to do there to be disciplined and to be set um and then throwing the shackles off a little bit. You know, you can get caught between two stools, um, but definitely the, the Charlie Oak, the, the, the opportunity he had at the end, mm. again, that's nearly a mindset. It's kind of, we're in this, take the point, whereas the goal is on. You the know, Rhino too, and just head down and go for it. Yeah, and probably, you know, at that stage you're saying, because at the end of the day, you're into the All-Ireland series, right? You do have the backstop. Now, yeah. you can't go into the game as well with that kind of mindset and we just say, oh, well, but maybe, of course you want an Ulster final. But I just, I just felt at the margins. in extra time goes, sure, this doesn't matter. We're going to, you know, like, uh, obviously both sides can do that and then... yeah. And again, I thought they, I, I, I thought they had the foot in the throat of Derry and extra. Like Derry looked like Rocky esque, like they were literally out. They were gone. It was, it was like one more punch, boom, yeah. and they were down. Mm. And they just gave them a sniff. And to be fair to Derry, they, they just, they took it. And I thought there was only one side really winning the penalties. You know, I, I didn't feel. I just thought, well, Derry are going to take this. 
you know. Uh, Armagh have Galway, Tyrone, and Westmead in their group. Um, yeah. <laughs> not easy. <laughs> Jesus. Well, it's yeah. hard to know what the story is with Westmead. Like, we, we thought that they were going to use last year's Talton Cup to springboard, to get up to Division 2, to guarantee themselves Sam Maguire for, you know, or get close as close as possible. But then they just haven't performed at the level that we thought they Armagh would. Armagh will have Westmead at home first, I think, as well. So at least you get that game out of the way. Well, maybe that, get a win. Once that happens, they've qualified. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, they need. Well, it, that's that's it's 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 sorry. Without dis- you know disrespecting Westmead, because I'm sure Westmead are waiting in the wings for them. It's it's the best of the three, shall we say, outcomes that they possibly could have because they have it at home and they can yeah. get back up on, on 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 the horse and go again. But that is that's not an easy group. It's like, not an easy group. They will they will like the shot at Galway again. Like it, if you're McGinley that week, yeah. it's not hard to get them up. You know. No, and I think, again, they did an awful lot of things right, Jer. Like, they did a massive amount of things right. And, uh, you know, there is the difference. You know, you, you lose, you go home, and you're thinking on the bus, or you're thinking that night, you're lying in bed, you can't sleep, and you're thinking, jeez, if only he gave that pass, if only he did it, if only he fisted the ball, if only he took the shot, if only we caught that ball. It's those margins. And, of course, when you win, you're thinking, you don't think about those things. You're thinking, well, are we great lads? You know, we've done everything right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's small, tiny tiny little because for a lot of the game I thought they, they and people would say well it's 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 it was a tactically really astute game I thought Joe Kernan was interesting the other day on with Conor Gilligan yeah. on the show and and the last question was asked and he kind of he, he he referred to the conservatism and taking the shackles off the Armagh team now that could be the same as in me, like, oh, well, they not just kick the ball in, you know, like, it, things have changed. But I think there's definitely a feeling, and without knowing, but, but you get the sense that, uh, whether it be outside or inside the camp, there's probably a feeling that there could be a little bit more. Like, uh, mm. in, in, and, and I mean from a forward, you know, and, and, and a kind of a, a, as I say, just kind of being a little bit more flair. Well, I think 318 of their scores in the championship so, so had come from halfbacks. Like a lot of their scores, yeah. the forward line don't do a, a hell of a lot of scoring compared to some other teams. But as you say, it's down to little moments. Like the, I think Kieran Macken tried to track Brendan Rogers for a bit, and that's not an easy job to do for anyone. Rogers was brilliant, um, but the goal, like Rogers' goal, and that was the kind of the, the thing that kept the gap between the two teams for most of the game. I don't know where Ethan Rafferty was going. Yeah, like it was no man's land. Just not a keeper. Like, yeah. well, and, and that's the problem again. So, so that decision. But look, what he gives you, of course, he kicks some mm. gr- unbelievable scores. He kicks a brilliant score near the end, which is, I think, maybe puts them one or two up, whatever it was. Um, so, so we've we've spoken about this before. What he gives you, I think, far outweighs what you potentially lose. But of course, when it comes to the crunch and it's it's Murphy's law, he ends up doing a job at the end, which is a very goalkeeper reliant job, i.e., safe penalties, yeah. and that is an art and that is a skill and Maybe that is something a that's who's going to be you know mm. like and it's not it's no knock on you mate but like this that, guy has a lifetime of doing this and, and that's we, good thinking you know and I like, think that's the next evolution actually you know potentially um, because if you were ticking all the boxes if you were getting right down to the granular yeah. that's probably where you are Um and, you know, the goal, yes, he goes to come, he realises I'm not getting there and when he should have made that decision a lot quicker. But it's, it's, you know, I, I, I thought they were a bit toothless up front. Uh, Turbot had a, a poor outing. Mernon, you know, now that, I tell you what, McAvoy, people talk about mm. Rogers and they talk about, um, Chrissy McCaig. 
But this, he looks about 12, first of all. I was looking, I was kind of saying, but he had an unbelievable game because yeah. Murnham was all, like the week, what they did against Down, which was those cross-field balls and they really put balls in on top of the, of, of the square to cause panic. Never, wasn't even, wasn't even considered because yeah. of, the, of the power that they have back there. Lynch and goal, of course. But McAvoy, I thought, was really, really good. Of a great full back line. Look, Derry will be happy. I think, I don't think Derry were at, their their full tilt. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I thought as well. They were maybe the week hampered them a little bit, but I didn't feel they had that same amount of energy. Um, I thought they were a little bit off. I thought Glass was, even though he committed with right at the end. I thought he was quiet for a, a lot of the game. But look, Armable does themselves down. I thought McGinney spoke well after the game. I think he was interviewed by Ashton. I think he spoke well where he just said, and he's that type of fellow, McGinney. You know, he he he. It hurts him. Very even tempered. Correct. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily show it. Um, will be absolutely hurt inside, no doubt about it. But I think he will get them to a point where he can use it as fuel for the next day. You'd imagine so. Like the the, the kind of last performance as well, he probably wasn't being utilised to, to, to his best degree. But then at the end, he, he comes up and he scores. We were mentioning earlier that the penalty was ridiculous. Um, but Glass is only twenty five. Yeah. only twenty five. This Derry team aren't going away anywhere. You know. No, I, I would have said Glass is much older, but um. <laughs> no, he's not going away. But the catch before that, you know, when he, when he when he goes up in midfield at a, at a at a really vital time for the kick out, and he goes up and and plucks it, um, and even just driving on, like McGuigan last year, if you remember, he he got injured. He was targeted a lot. Mm. He was showing his ability, but this has just been. Like I mean, he was everywhere. He was everywhere. He was he was back in the full back line, picking up balls. He came out around midfield. You know, he he he's his his point scoring and his, his the backing of himself is just fantastic. Did the better team win on the day? You know, it, again, I think it was just such an arm wrestle mm. um, that you know you weren't saying one really blasted the other one out of the way. I thought Derry were a little bit off, and I thought Armagh if they had smell, I, I just Armagh were very inefficient. Yeah, really, shooting, really, shooting efficiency, Derry were, were yeah, much really, more. Yeah, really, really inefficient. And here's the thing, if they shoot, you know, an extra 15, 20%, mm. then it's a five, six point win. Like, yeah. oh, that was brilliant. But you can't trust them <laughs> not to miss those. And no, and, but I think also their selections at the start, you know, I think they went conservative, Jerry. You know, they, yeah. they, they didn't start with their full complement of what you would have mm. thought of. These are our scoring forwards. Yeah. So, again, you know, a halfback gets those shots or gets into those positions where he's not normally accustomed to and he either dishes it off or has a go, whereas a forward would say... And I, I just thought, it felt to me that they said, right, what we'll do is we'll contain them and then try and hit them. And it just didn't get there for them. Let's move on to the dubs. Um, yeah. So they're still shuffling their deck. Um, still not entirely sure exactly what their best starting fifteen is, but they have, they do have strength and depth, and I think there's no issue with Jack McCaffrey. Or at least certainly Desi was playing it down afterwards. Comes off uh, early enough, and they said it's just a minor injury. So presumably he'll be back uh, at full tilt. He's he is a game changer for them. You see the difference between him and Mannion uh, being in the team and Khan in the team fully fit. Um, but can we read anything into this? Like Louth were. You know, very intense, 15, 20 minutes, and then it's game over. Yeah, uh, I'd say McCaffrey twinges a hammer. I would, uh, that'd be my guess, my 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 amateur guess. <laughs> Just look, but even though he still kicked the point when it was because he was like, oh, I'm out of here after, straight away after. Um, I thought Loud, 
you know, they brought a lot to it at the start. I thought they were hanging on be- just purely because of Dublin's intensity. You know, even the, the scores that Loud got in the first kind of 10, 15 minutes, a couple of the frees, the tackling was borderline whether it could have been a free or not. Dublin were hunting in packs. They were very, very tight. They had a sweeper in place. They had a five on one for the goal they scored, the first goal they scored. Yeah, like- yeah. Well, and that, and that came from, you know, they actually, Loud actually won the kick out, yeah. but, then, but then slipped it up and, and, and men had gone beyond, uh, I can't remember who had it, uh, the six, uh, men had gone beyond and then it was a little hand pass and it got intercepted and it was goal on. What you know? It, it, it's kind of crazy. I'm looking at it. They conceded one ten in that spell, loud. You know, which is a, a probably a ten minute spell. Like that's it, game over. We've right? seen and we've seen them do this before against really, really, really top teams. Absolutely, did it to Mayo, did it to Tyrone. So maybe they're back. I don't know. Well, well, well. There's two things. One, you know, and, and and this is a kind of a broader conversation. I know Mickey Hart has said, "Oh well, anyone who looks them back in camera, they're great lads and they're all very smart." And he's right. But I think I think at those times, I sometimes feel if you're if you're in that situation, if you lost two or three out in a row, right? Does the keeper just say, "Listen"? We're putting as many bodies right literally on the centre circle kind of type of thing. We're just going to put it and we're just going to make it an unbelievable battle out yeah. there. And if we lose it, we just all run back yeah. as quick as possible. Yeah. Because when you're trying to still do intricate kickouts, um, when you're under that much pressure and you're pinging them out here and you're pinging a couple over the sideline, you're just heaping more and more. Now, I'm not saying that w- that works, but by, you know, generally you just make it purely a 50 50. There's bits in the game where you get the yips. And they're going to happen yeah. to everybody. The world's best golfers, the world's best snooker players. Everybody's got a little bit of the yips. And so for the 10 minutes, while I'm working through my yips as yeah. a team, we're going to do something different. Like, yeah. You know. And what Kildare did well against Dublin was, and, and you could see Loud doing it as well because they were flooding that middle channel. They were saying, right, no goals. But what Kildare did was sometimes when they won the ball back, instead of going full on, let's get up the far end and get a score, they actually just controlled it. A bit, so they gave themselves a bit of a yeah. breather because when you're when you're when you're bringing that level of intensity, right, and you're trying to stop them from a defensive point of view, and this is this is something that say Derry have got right against Dublin, when they win the ball back, they ultimately take they go from fifth gear down into second gear, and they just say right, calm. And we'll just go through our, and we may hold it for three minutes. But what it does is, is it takes the sting out of the, the, the game. Because what often teams do is, oh, we've got it back. Now we have to uh, attack straight away with speed and intensity. And you go up the far end. And even if you get the score, Cluxton has you pinged already. And the ball's gone. You're pushed up the field. And next thing they get a goal. And you're like, ow, what just happened there? So, look, they're definitely back. I think the rotation that he was doing, he's now back to his, his main men again. You know who? So who came in? Your Scully, McCaffrey, Howard. Uh, your main boys were back. Costello started. Costello started. Yeah. Kenny was back in. You know you've 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 got your you've got your shall we say your your power players back in, um, and you know they are they're doing what they should do and they're doing it very very well. They're as I said their level of intensity, their level of tacking, their turnovers. Their, um, um, and and the, you know their ha- their cornerbacks did what they did brilliantly against Loud, which was they still brought more Roy. Still not signing Michael for Simons. No, he's not there, and he's you know I think I believe he's back playing with Kula, but he he, he hasn't been drafted in for whatever was gone on there. Um, but it, listen, you know they got it right. They brought Mulroy. I think he was doing maybe I think he might have been doing medical exams possibly. Simons. Okay, well that could have, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're smart, you know. They brought the they brought the main threat of loud right into their full back line. So they ended up bringing Mulroy and, and Downey and these guys. They brought he still them scored ten points. Yeah. I did. I yeah, scored yeah, ten yeah. points. That's yeah. the final. How'd you do? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really tough for him because he's a fantastic footballer and he's Absolutely. back fully fit. And you know, hopefully, um, they're able to do some uh, business in the um, group stages. Is it the dying embers of the Leinster Championship? Okay, thirteen in a row. I saw the, the really interesting comment from Desi Farrell afterwards. He says, "I think it's probably time to have a proper review of the competition. See who does this benefit? These big wins, the big discrepancies between teams." Is I don't think we know how Dublin voted when it came to proposal B. Yeah, well, well yeah. Not sure. I don't think that goes down to that whole transparency thing. They didn't lobby for that. Asked, you yeah, know? yeah. So um, anyway, you know, all the, all the provincials. You know, and people would say, "Ah, oh, well, the Ulster." It was well, if you're relying on one out of four. It doesn't. Yeah. It also doesn't matter anymore that uh, it's linked to the, to the. It doesn't matter. So. Well, I thought what was really interesting. Someone made a comment. Uh, I think it was McGuigan who basically said in the interview, "Well, we've looked at this as great preparation for the All Ireland series." That's what the provincials have become. That's heresy, right? <laughs> Anthony, good stuff. Thanks, William, for joining us this morning. It's Anthony Miles giving us his thoughts on the weekend's Gaelic football. The former Ireland rugby captain Roy Best launches his Miles to Mayo campaign to raise vital funds for Cancer Fund for Children. Tomorrow morning, Roy will walk from the Cancer Fund for Children's Therapeutic Centre, Daisy Lodge in Newcastle and County Down, to the site of a proposed new Daisy Lodge in County Mayo, passing through Ulster, Leinster and Connacht, taking in County Down, counties Down, Armagh, Fermanagh, Leitrim, Sligo and Mayo along the way. On his epic journey, Roy will take in over 30 towns and villages, and I'm delighted to say he's with him. He's with us this morning. Roy, good morning to you. How did you get involved in this? Uh, good morning. Um, I'll thank you for the, the brief from the last walk in 2021. Uh, we're leaving the Aviva Stadium tomorrow morning, um, and we are going walking basically down to Limerick and then up via Galway to Mayo. So we, we'll actually go past Cumberland Hospital tomorrow. Um, so the last walk was really successful where we went from Newcastle across, but um, this time we sort of thought with, with Crumlin Hospital being um, and so many patients there and so many referrals across to the Cancer Fund for Children that um, we thought that it was really important to engage Dublin, Leinster, Munster. Um, so really the, my involvement with the Cancer Fund for Children was um, pre-retirement. I sort of like a lot of charities, you know, you try to do as much as you can when you're playing. Cancer Fund for Children were one that invited me to um, various balls and events. I brought the, the Six Nations and Grand Slam trophy up whenever we won that in 2018. And, and when I retired, I wanted to try to focus on one charity, still help as much as I can, but really try to make a difference to one instead of spreading myself too thinly. And Cancer Fund for Children was a charity being a father and knowing how prevalent cancer is right across the entire communities, but also specifically within children, um, it really struck a chord with me. And the first walk in September 21 was about challenging myself and trying to raise as much money as we can to build a second therapeutic centre in Kong and County Mayo. And, and now really this is trying to get it from sort of pushing it forward to now trying to get it finished this time around. How far is the actual walk? How many kilometres are we talking here? Uh, it's going to be just short of 350 kilometres. <laughs> how long? Um, how long so that's obviously not one day. That's many days. I have 10 days. Um, so we're sort of averaging sort of 30, mid-30s kilometres a day. Um, and the beauty of this was, I think, back at the very, the very outset of it in twenty one. I kind of thought that I might just run, might just set off from Newcastle and, and just run and eventually get to Kong. And actually my wife said that this is a, a children's charity. It's about the family. You know, if you run, you might be stupid enough to make it, but no one else you'll be doing it on your own. So 
the, the fact of the walk, it means that we can walk with, with people. We have a lot of people turning up tomorrow morning for a breakfast lunch in the Aviva Stadium. Um, and then probably the, the best, but the hardest part of the walk is, is you walk with all the families, the doctors, the social workers. Um, so that could be anything from a, a kid who's has into remission, a kid that has cancer, siblings, parents, unfortunately, siblings of, of some of the brave little boys and girls that have lost their fight to cancer. So, you know, that, that is physically it's tough, but emotionally it's incredibly hard because no matter what the scenario you can put yourself into, because I'm a brother, I'm a father, I'm a son. Um, and with all of these stories, you insert yourself into that and it breaks your heart a little bit. How do you train for, for something like that, Rory? Like, is it, is it a case of getting on the treadmill, sticking the incline up and, and, and working out the calf muscles or, or how do you go about it? Um, I try to walk. I would try to be fairly active anyway in, in everyday life, whether it's on the farm or whether it's sort of working with, with our donor, Arcus, the insurance company I work with, or a little bit of coaching. So I, I generally don't sit still for long. I train most mornings regardless. So I'm sort of trying to, to keep my general generally the weight off and uh, trying to keep me myself active. Um, I haven't done too many sort of 30, 40 K walks leading into it. Sort of generally sort of 10, 15 K. We try to do three or four times a week if I can. Um, it just depends on, on how busy life is because at the end of the day, you sort of, I have other commitments that I need to get through as well. If the if you're doing a second one, obviously the, the first one must have been quite successful in, in terms of raising awareness and profiling generating funds um you, you talked about the emotional difficulty of of listening to those stories at the same time it must also then give you a lot of comfort that you're helping people who are going through those emotional and, and psychological and obviously medical difficulties yeah massively the, the last walk we raised just over a million um off the back of it we sort of we toyed around with ideas and cancer fund for children thought 250,000 would be brilliant and I kind of thought, oh, she'd push ourselves a bit more and, and set a target at half a million. But uh, with the support of everyone, um, to get over a million was was incredible. And, and the charity are, are so happy with that. But it is, it's about that awareness um, and raising the awareness because you know, another part of the reason you do it is when you know, I talked about how it breaks your heart. But actually, when you're up in Daisy Lodge in Newcastle and you see the families and you see how the kids... You know, they, they just get on with life. They're so brave. They do everything with a smile on their face. And, and that is the, that's probably the hardest bit when you're walking with families affected by it is how they almost take it in the chin and they just keep moving forward. And, you know, we sometimes take for granted what we have and we complain about the simple things. And then you spend a bit of time with them and you see how upbeat they are. And, um, you, know, they help me a lot. They help me a lot with coming out of retirement. You know, you feel a bit sorry for yourself, but, they make you really appreciate what, what you have. Um, and to see that and the, the stark reality is, unfortunately, with Daisy Lodge in, in Newcastle County Down, so the whole of Northern Ireland, all the families are covered, but unfortunately only one in every seven referrals from Crumlin can get that sort of short respite break with just the one centre. And when we build Kong and County Mayo, with the help of, of everyone, the sponsors and people that donate, then absolutely every family that's affected by cancer will be able to go for that short respite break because ultimately when they go into the likes of Crumlin or the Royal Victoria and Belfast, they end up, they have to, um, 
basically live separately and um, they this is this respite where they can come and they're treated like the stars they are and they get to spend time together as a family unit again and mum and dad can get a bit of a break so that they this second center is so important so just to to reiterate the correct details you're, you're leaving from the aviva tomorrow heading down all the way to limerick and then uh, taking a sharp turn north up to Kong and Mayo. That's, that is quite the walk. If people do want to come along and, and join, if they see you along the way, are, are you happy enough for that to happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rory'smilesTomayo.com is the website and, and that'll keep track of where we are, keeps track of where, how our fundraising is going. Um, and there's all little bits and pieces. There's also some fundraising packs and ideas. If any clubs, schools, communities want to get involved and do, their own little events to help raise money for this. So, yeah, look, that, that route is on there. And to be honest, at certain times during the day, I'll be very glad of of as many people out as they can because it's, it is it's such a big thing. And when you see, it's amazing that just on a bit of a tangent, whenever I sort of since I've retired and you go to speak at events and they play highlights of your career. And granted, my highlights weren't that overly impressive as an individual, but they, you know that's fine. You go, that was brilliant. I loved that, but. There's a few videos going around of the last walk, and and for me, that's probably more emotional and than the rugby highlights. As much as I love that section of my life, because this is so important that this affects so many families, and it's so important to get the second therapeutic centre built. We wish you the very best of luck. May the sun shine the whole way, Rory. Thanks a million for joining <laughs> us. Thanks, guys. That's uh, Rory Best giving us some thoughts there. And as he said, you can check out that website and the details. Obviously, leaving the Aviva tomorrow all the way to Limerick and then up to Kong in Mayo. Rory's Miles to Mayo, uh, aiming to raise hopefully a million like they did last year. It's 9.36 this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. A reminder, OTBIM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. We've had tons of comments coming through. Uh, a lot of people calling. Uh, uh, well, Bobby Dwyer in particular. Spurs bottle it like that. They'd be described as Spursy. When are we going to start referring to Arsenal-y? Not quite as catchy, is no, it? No, it just doesn't roll off the tongue the same way as Spursy. Um, Spurs have consistently it's done a it as well. Gunner Sorosy. That's oh, not bad. Uh, it's terrible. terrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alex Candelan is some player. IMO says, Michael, I really enjoyed the game. It's great to see Munster win the way they did. Uh, the Ulster final was excellent, says Michael, but Penos is an awful way to decide a final like that. It's not. Ah, it was brilliant. It's not. It's, it's brilliant. Not, nothing to. Um, Obviously, the calendar dictates they had to finish on the day, but even so, I think. Get rid of all these replays. Because you could get a replay and they could, it could tarnish the whole thing. Some team could go out and win by seven or eight points and be like, ah, maybe we should have just finished on the day. Had that one moment. Andy Carroll says, if you want to see Champions League football in London next year, there's only one place to go. They would have been the youngest team with the youngest manager to ever win the league. Butlers, don't make me laugh. Yeah, you don't get special prizes for Mikel Arteta being the youngest manager to win the league. And there's also no guarantee that next year he's going to be any better. There isn't like that's not a the uh, the schedule thing is like oh we, you know we'll we'll make Champions League football we we'll reach Champions League quarter final the following year we'll finish uh, cement ourselves in the uh, top four and then the year after we'll reach a Champions League final and we'll win the league because that's what happens when it's like they no. should be better Arteta should be a better manager next year and they should uh, bring players in this summer that would make them better but the problem as we said earlier is other teams around them will get better as well so will they improve more than the, the teams around them? It'll be interesting to see. 
Uh, right, on tomorrow's show, we're back with Tommy Rooney's updated power rankings, Ireland's sevens Olympics qualification, reaction to tonight's Leicester-Liverpool game, plus many, plenty more besides. Right now, the best of the Sunday pay-per-view. Have a magical Monday. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.